Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I'm a fan of classic movies. Hello and welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of double features dedicated to programming the finest, most eclectic, and downright bizarre film pairings and cataloging the discussions that ensue. We're your gruesome twosome, Kyle and Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. And I'm Levi. Here we are, you know, ready for episode 73 of Overlapping Dialogue, but we got some very uh, sad news for the Chelsea fans uh, in the, you know, listening to us today. Levi. You're a Chelsea supporter. You just saw, uh, I can't remember, it was Manchester City. City just beat Chelsea 1-0. And they also just clinched the Premier Yesterday, League, technically, right? with some other losses, yeah. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on the state uh, of uh, Okay, things? so, first of all, we're all just looking forward to next year, as far as Chelsea goes. Um, just And as a Raiders yeah. fan, you're used to oh, yeah. being in that place. Yeah. Uh, but... This is a particular, I don't know. I think what this whole soccer season has represented to me, I guess, because I've kind of come into the middle of it. and uh, This is your first season be, really right, following uh, uh, Really the last half, because it goes for like 10 months. So, yeah. you know. Uh, really since the World Cup, pretty much, is when I've been paying attention. It's kind of hard to believe how long ago that's been already now. Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, it's just getting a little distressing for me personally. Every time I start a new team, this is what happens. So it's uh-huh. just like, okay. So do you feel responsible for the No, not Chelsea's really, not actually. Because, well, I don't know what there is to be, because the team is too good to be doing as bad as they are. Ultimately, it's just the it's the managerial and the front office. It's all, That's the whole problem of it, you know. Yeah. But, um, but further to me, because I've already accepted Chelsea's fate, you know, but I kind of stopped paying attention to the kind of top of the table stuff for a while, and then all of a sudden Arsenal was just out of it, and has kind of been doing not as great the last I don't know two months, um, and has lost some games, and has led to where Manchester City was able to take control. Of course, those who remember uh, Manchester City's been accused of a lot of uh, financial misdeeds and uh, all these various allegations about them paying for players they weren't legally supposed to do mm-hmm. as far as the Premier League rules and that that's kind of why they've won three in a row and seven out of the last nine or whatever the number is of Premier League titles in the past, you know, 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, and they're also poised to win the Champions League probably in uh, about a month or half a month, mm-hmm. about a couple weeks. Um. So it was really just quite a disgusting display, all all, all told. Mm-hmm. Um, not and 
this always happens to me. More of, and what I mean by that is, um, in the case of this, Chelsea just so happened to be in that game. But oh, by the way, Chelsea lost a game. Yeah, you know, which go figure <laughs> at this point in the season. But at the same time, it's like, oh yeah, Chelsea. I guess they were there. I don't know. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. It's like how everybody talks about the immaculate reception, and it's like. Well, guess who that was against? The Raiders. Or, mm-hmm. oh, the Tuck Rule. Guess who that was against? The Raiders. It's, it's always some... Uh, it's like the teams that I enjoy are always minor factoids in sports history, it seems like. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Now, this is... And, and I should to say... To be clear, the Raiders have won three The Raiders Super have Bowl. won three Super Bowls. Chelsea has had a history of being very good and winning. And, you know, I think they've won... I looked a while ago. I think it was five... Uh, Premier League titles. They've won, I think, two or three Champions Leagues. Um, they won the uh, Club World Cup a couple years ago. So it's not like, it's just, but it's me is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm the, I guess since I'm not as great at sports, that's just the way it goes. I don't know. But, but you know what frustrates me more than anything is that there are a lot of Manchester City fans in my life at random places, different people. Well, I guess they're kind of um, seen as a bandwagon. And, yes, team, and so especially in America, I guess people are like, "Oh, we're the most successful right. English soccer uh, clubs." Oh, them. Oh, well, I'll right. I'll get into yeah. them. You know. Um, Speaking and for that. me, why I picked Chelsea was first of all, I like their colors, the blue. blue. Yeah. Um, I like. Well, I also was an old Pulisic place for them. I'll just start pulling for them, and then I started liking a lot of the other players. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody's got to have some entryway right. into something. Yeah. And so, so I was like, okay, but um. Yeah, and there's a there are a couple Manchester City fans in my life, and I love you all deeply, but screw you all. And uh, moving on, I don't know. I mean, it really was it really was quite because also I just don't like a lot of the players on that team. De Bruyne, I don't like. I don't like Holland. I know Aaron Holland's like the biggest player in the world or whatever. Really, the only one I like is Gundogan, who was on the German national team. He's German. He's the only one I'm even remotely interested in. I think he's going to retire, so it's like okay. But um yeah. So there you so, go. So that just happened here just a while ago, so which was no surprise. Um but yeah. It's just it is quite fascinating that a team could be so uh you know, it's like I never felt that way exactly about the New England Patriots and Brady per se. Mm-hmm. I started to feel that way more towards Brady when he went to Tampa Bay. I was like, Okay, I'm done with this. Yeah. But, like, you know. But I feel I kind of get an idea of what that felt or like. Retired twice, right? Well, also I didn't watch all this over years and years, mm-hmm. so I know other people are even more mad than I am. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just coming into this, it's just very distasteful and and ridiculous. The best thing was is that everybody stormed the field, which is normal, you know. But then they had to clear it so that they could have the whole trophy lift and that whole thing but there were all these that is a that is you know, a, you know it's from an outsider who yeah. looking at english soccer or soccer in general it is interesting that they you know they uh, you, they go by goals yes. scored basically is yeah. their point system or well no well by wins one, wins is well, excuse their, me yeah. wins and um i was thinking about if they tie they get right. points well, anyways guess, but yeah. like they don't have like a playoff system necessarily right. that it's just it just ends and there's like another week next week so, so it's so, almost just yeah 
playing that's it, but then that's that it. out, which right. is very. And it sometimes happens where America. it's earlier than that, but usually it's a little more competitive down to the end. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's strange. Uh. It's 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 weird. It's it's not even like the World Cup, which is like a playoff or other cups. Um. It's just literally all they won. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Do but, you know anything um, about MLS in terms of do they have a similar system? I assume system? it's probably the same thing. I don't really know. I haven't followed that much. We're gonna go. We're actually gonna go to a game of that in about a month. Mm-hmm. Um, for Charlotte, I'm gonna play Montreal. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was interesting to watch this season and kind of get a feel for the way it works. And next season, I'll follow yeah. it the whole time, and it'll be different. And hopefully, they won't uh, win again. I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully, Chelsea will have a better season. But, yeah, it just really was a disgusting spot. As like I said, we were, you were actually waiting for me so we could start recording. I was just sitting in there watching it. And then by the end, I was like, why don't I sit here and watch all this? Like, mm-hmm. why am I doing that? More, I guess, because I was like, it's the first time I'm seeing this happen, and so I wanted to see it. But, uh, yeah, it's just really frustrating when you're in situations like that. And it's like, oh, by the way, Chelsea happened to be there in, in this game. Right. It's like, oh, yeah. but we don't care about that. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I guess not. But as a, I mean, yeah. they, I'm not saying the team even deserves our interest mm-hmm. right now. I'm just saying, like, okay, I don't know. Wasn't a similar circumstance, no. but exactly. But uh, having uh, Carolina Panthers lose two Super Bowls in my lifetime, where yeah. they're up the uh, off to the side of uh, mm-hmm. this other uh, quote great team, right. you know what I mean, is always frustrating. But the movies we're going to talk about today are both from 1992, Hard Boiled. Of course, uh, Hong Kong action classic and Basic Instinct. An erotic uh, thriller classic. An erotic thriller way. classic in, a, in another way. Uh, the direct connections between these movies are not as clear-cut as maybe some of the others we've done. However, they both are about, like, you know, there's been a lot written about sensationalism in, across various eras of cinema with sex and violence, and these are two of the biggest examples yeah. of violence and sexuality in movies in general. Especially in the 90s. Uh, yeah. So in that way, they have a connection. Uh, again, Hard Boiled's, of course, from Hong Kong. Basic Instinct is, of course, uh, an American movie, but directed by uh, Paul Verhoeven, who's, of course, from Europe. So there is mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of a, you know, an outsider perspective with that. But before we get into all those films, we gotta, we just gotta dig into that blue plate special. <laughs> Hi, Audrey. Norma. Have a cup of coffee, please? Sure. I'll have what she's had. Hey! Who are you? Large pepperoni! Run it up! The Manchester City cheaters are right here. <laughs> Still cheating. Still cheating. There was, there, I know, in a similar way, like all the the call stealing and stuff that had been going on with the Houston Astros the last few seasons yeah. that when there's been people throwing cold water on the various titles they've won yeah. over the last few right. years in a similar way. Mm-hmm. But anyway, sorry speak, to bring that back speaking up. Speaking of uh, mourning, yeah. uh, first we want Speaking wanna, of other stupid crap, yeah. Uh, we want to mourn ahead. the loss of a... Well, uh, one of us wants to, I guess. Uh, uh, 
fictional legend. Maybe I'm mourning the uh, loss of uh, sanity in this situation. But yeah. is uh, Rick Dalton, uh, who was, it was announced by on the Video Archives podcast and the social media feed this last Maybe week. Maybe Roger Avery was um, trying to hide his laughter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, was passed uh, passed or, away or his uh, past <coughs> manslaughter charges. Though. Excuse me, at age um, ninety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he'd been with Sorry, us. I'm just going uh, after everybody today. Ever since 1933, um, Rick Dalton had that. Uh, that was. Um, How long are you gonna play this out? Well, again, Rick Dalton. Again, he, he had, you know, a very a varied career. I mean, he was mostly known for his, you know, Bounty Law was the most successful TV show he had been on. He did some movies in the mid to late '60s that were never quite achieved that level of success. Uh, he did, though, uh, have an encounter with uh, various hippies at the very tail end of the '60s. Uh, very close, strangely, to the uh, Sharon Tate home, uh, where he and um, I believe his uh, stunt uh, stunt buddy Cliff Booth uh, fought off some hippies. Um, what's your biggest takeaway though from the death of um, one of uh, screen and you know TV screens biggest legends uh, passing away at age ninety? Well, I wanna... other than the fact that he's a fictional character well, and not say... real, right? Other than that, what's your takeaway? Well, I was going to say I didn't know that we were now in play acting like this is a radio play or something <laughs> that you're. I I commend you for your effort. <laughs> um, this is of course a uh, Rick Dalton was of course played by Leonardo DiCaprio in Quentin Tarantino's twenty nineteen film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Just which I love. I want to be clear. I love that movie. I think it's great. You know, what do you think about the announcement of a uh, fictional character's hell. death? I mean, I, you know, you you think a lot about the, uh, you know, you think a lot about artists and their uh, egos. Then you reach new levels. <laughs> you didn't even think you could that Tarantino could reach a new level of ego. Oh, I mean, no, never uh, underestimate no. that. Oh, exactly. I mean, I'd. Who would have well, thought, we, who would I, have thought that I would have doubted? And I've been you know? predicting this for a while. Whenever yeah. he's you know he's been predicting, I'm only going to do ten movies, yeah. and so this right. next one will be his tenth movie according to his math because he's counting Kill Bill as a single film, which whatever. Uh, but you know that movie's going to be like cinema, the final film. Cinema of, is over right. at the very yeah. telling. I mean, it, I say all this as a fan of his it work. It will probably literally say the final film of Quentin Tarantino. Like that's yeah. a a certainty yeah, the 10th and final film right anyway it's why he had to come up with a number to stop himself i don't really understand yeah which is uh, very arbitrary it's like he's such a big but, uh, fan let's of get people back like, when you oh, hang get on, back to no, the death on, of rick hang on like, a here he's such a fan <laughs> of like don siegel and that type those types and it's like well did he stop making movies when he got old that's his whole thing is like I think his whole whole argument is like, oh, uh, directors go downhill once they reach a certain age. Um, We've talked about this several times on this podcast. Don Siegel rarely got up the hill. There's been a lot of older directors working now. They've been working for decades. They've made some of their best work in the last so many years. So that's a curious Uh, thing, but observation. Yeah, I don't know. Also, just the fact that... I want to jump over here real quick. We will get back to this BS soon. Don't worry. Uh, That... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a uh, very interesting, worthwhile book. The book, I mean. Yeah. Um, that had problems, but I think ultimately was very good, and I enjoyed reading. Mm-hmm. 
the little bit I read of cinema speculation was pretty god awful. That and um, that mostly did get. Uh, and bad I'm thinking about actually selling that book on eBay just because I'm on a big eBay tear of selling a million different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I only read a little bit of it. It was all, I. I wrote a whole thing about that on my. Uh, um. What the hell is this? Hang on a second. So, what are you looking at? Here? It says the films of Rick Dalton is an upcoming novel written by Quentin Tarantino. Details the life and film and television career of fictional actor Rick Dalton. His main protagonist. No, it's going to be like a fake biography. Yeah, character biography. Okay. Well, see, now that's slightly interesting. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Ralph. There's a whole Ralph Meeker section. Mm-hmm. Okay, whatever. Um, but you know it. It, I know he's always said, oh, I want to be a novelist, I want to write movies. He's like, I don't want to see you write about anything. It's, unless, you know, novels I'd be interested in, because that's at least something. I don't want to hear him talk about a movie ever again after reading that. Like, I'm serious, it was so bad, I was like, I can't even believe this. You know, the um, prospects of him also, uh, you know, creating a podcast with Roger Edgar, yeah. which I've listened to a lot of the early episodes, and liked fine enough, but I kept waiting for him to, like, all right, let's talk about some real worthwhile stuff, right? And they just kept circling the drain with like, yeah, direct, either direct video or a lot of crap. And I feel yeah. like he's and there's some stuff I've heard about explicitly reveling from in that. that that I want to see. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there's. But, I mean, and again, yeah. it was fun just to hear them talk about movies. Even yeah. if I think Tarantino has one of the absolute worst tastes. In relation to how great his talent yeah. is, I've ever seen from yeah, anybody. Yeah, but because the, he is a yeah. great filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Even though he's, you know, yeah. not all of his movies are great, but he is a great filmmaker who has awful taste. Yeah, I mean, because I, was, I because even the with the book I was reading some of, and you look at the movies he talks about, and it's all you know stuff from the seventies, mm-hmm. but mostly. Uh, but you look at that, and you're like, yeah, most of these movies are pretty good or great, like in the case of maybe Taxi Driver or something. I don't remember if he talks... I don't think he talks about Godfather in there. I don't know. But uh, a certain movie. But then you're thinking, yeah, but those are all the most like basic opinions you could have on those things. It's like, I mean, I love Peckinpah, but he wrote a whole thing on The Getaway. I mean, that was a movie the, that we that, don't particularly right. And that was love. a whole... Well, we know why. It's because the two actors are like yeah. wax figurines. Um, well, that, that's what he's yeah. into, though, right? Because so, yeah, because we were talking about that. I mean, he yeah. he thinks William Shatner's a legitimately great actor, and that and Aldo Ray. Yeah, and we were talking the other night, joking about that part in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it was talking about Pete Duel and how, oh my God, he was so great, and he he killed himself because he was an alcoholic. Well, I'm not making fun of any of that. That sounds yeah. very sad, and and. But just, oh man, Pete Duel. I was just like, Pete Duel? Yeah. Pete Duel? Who is Pete Duel? Oh, wait, he was on some show. Like, I don't know. It's just, as as we're going to talk, we're going to say this a lot today. You like to play games, don't you? Like, you know, I mean, it's just a lot of crap opinions. And so, therefore, listening to him is not a prospect I'm interested in. Getting back to all this, the childishness and the ego that you have to have of, this character died today. No, he didn't. He's not real. He is not a real person. I, well, Meanwhile, also, he was shocked I, that he lived, lived, and I no, say that yeah, close to age 90. He was an alcoholic. He was a smoker. No, there's no way he would have lived that long. Also, Breathed in some flamethrower uh, 
fumes at various points Don't in his life. Don't you think it's kind of just a little bit strange, too, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, about Cannes. When was all this announced? In the midst of the Cannes Film I was going to bring this up, too. I and feel like this is a weird thing for him to say in the midst of all the yeah. things going on out of that, like, to say, um, look at me, this is going on right now, like... Look at me, yeah. as they say. <laughs> um, yeah, and also literally right around the time that Kills of the Flower Moon With is being released. And it seems almost yeah. like this competition or something, which is hilarious because, Scors- and he's a Scorsese fan, yeah. loves Scorsese, and I'm sure Scorsese likes him. Yeah. But it's just like, Scorsese would literally look at that and, and laugh. He'd probably be confused. And, like, and be confused and like, what are you talking about? Well, and, he's, and obviously, Tarantino and Scorsese are both no- known for their love of film and encyclopedic knowledge in their own ways. But, you know, um, Scorsese has this thing about art cinema that it's uh, good, mostly good, you know. That's something that Tarantino has zero interest in. And there's probably deep down a part of him thinking for two seconds, like, wait a minute, is Rick Dal- was Rick Dalton real? Am I missing yeah. something? And then was like, oh, wait, no, yeah. he wasn't. Why, right. why am I he even thinking about Leo, this? He asked Leo, and Leo's like, no, and then he rolls his no, eyes and like, it's not. No. no. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, specifically, too, I, which is fascinating about DiCaprio in that movie was that I heard in some of the, they both talk about this, I think, some of the earlier drafts that Tarantino was getting really lost in this fictional yeah. biography aspects of Dalton. Probably because he's taking a lot of his love for the subject matter and like and creating a and character. And Elseworld like, Steve McQueen right, type. Right, yeah. yeah. A what if. Right. And he's yeah. really getting off on that. Uh-huh. And that DiCaprio kind of several times stopped him and was like, but what is the man? And like, yeah. I need to know who the man is. And and Tarantino even has said that I love Leo and he got me back on track yeah. in terms of writing. And, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio well, is literally say, probably our greatest working movie star. And I yeah. say that in the presence of the Tom Cruise of and the I, world and let me, as far yeah. as his overall. But like, he helped guide mm-hmm. that, what, that version was onto the screen. He had an instrumental role in actually getting to yeah. it. Also. And let me say, I do think that is one of his best characters, pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I think, especially in a movie that has that interplay between him and Cliff Booth, and it's interesting that by the end of that movie, especially by the end of the book, which was even more about Cliff Booth's uh, just straight up evil, actually. Uh, because in the movie, you just think of it, oh, he's just this cool guy. Well, he's also he's played really by Brad Pitt, right. so that just gives it But then a, when you, uh, yeah. the book has even more details about just the overall awful violence that he visits on people. And you get this sense of it, the patheticness, though, of Rick Dalton, and he's just such a whiner and a loser. But you get this by the end of the movie and also by the end of the book, that feeling of, oh, you know, he really ain't so bad, you know, especially compared to Cliff Booth, who, like, looks cool but actually is evil, evil, I think. Uh, And so that all being said, you play dress... It's just like you play dress-up for a living. Get over yourself. I know this is a movie podcast, but, like... Yeah. No, this is a... You like playing games, don't you? I mean... You know, I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll say I'm not quite as cynical about Levi as all this is. Um, there was a tweet, and there, what was funny on Twitter was there was a lot of like this fake mourning of him, and oh my god, he was so great. And then, and then the counter joke, like, well, he was problematic, and yeah, we can't celebrate that. Blah blah blah. One, if he were real, you know, one tweet that I do genuinely actually agree with to a point. Uh, Brian Haley tweeted about this said. 
lovely in revealing that Tarantino and DiCaprio crafted the character so iconic and beloved that an announcement of his passing triggered a cute, halfway genuine outpouring of grief. Now, again, I I, I agree with a mm. lot of things Levi's saying, but I do think like it is it is it's more than a. It, more than anything to me, a testament to how popular that movie remains. And we have very, and again, there were and people the who decried, of it too, people think, who decried yeah. aspects of the movie and it was debated when it came out. But as the years have already, already it's like nearly four years old, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, how long lasting and popular that is, especially with cinephiles as a film. Yeah. And it is one of the rare examples of while Tarantino himself has kind of gotten lost in the mythology of his own creation. The movie itself actually creates these iconic enough characters where people even care enough to have yeah. a response to them. Yeah, like I said, you know the, I mean? the immersion of the movie, I think, is fascinating. Uh, and that's due in part to the production design also. Um, but no, I mean, I don't... I love the movie. Mm-hmm. It's... I, I always hesitate between it and Reservoir Dogs of what I think is his... I say this as a huge, huge, huge fan of Reservoir Dogs who forever said that was my favorite. Leaving that first time seeing it, I was like, oh my God, I think this is my new favorite Tarantino movie. And every time I've watched it, for me, Mm. it's only been confirmed by that. Mostly because, again, for all the cuteness and moviness of it, it actually has this flesh and blood heart to it, which is not something you say about much of his work. Uh, So, in a way that even Reservoir Dogs doesn't have, you know. Right. So... Uh, I don't know. We, we just yeah. thought we'd mention this because it was kind of funny. Again, more than anything, I'm like, there's no way he lived to age 90. Uh, yeah. Again, he's so dumb. But he's also not real. So, you know. That's my biggest thing. I, I just, I don't know. I know that's become an emergent theme on here that I'm always like from the rooftop screaming, these things are fake. This is not real because we have actual issues and problems. Yeah. I don't know. Just kind of stupid and not worth anybody's time. But you know, except for this time we dedicated right. to it. Uh, speaking of not real, hypnotic, hypnotic yeah, is also movie is not unreal real for sure. Well, also yeah. there's a Tarantino connection. Rodriguez uh, directed this, yeah. so there's that. Uh, hypnotic, the latest film from Robert Rodriguez, begins as a kind of a heist movie with a slightly supernatural slash kind of horrorish thrillerish twist. And goes in way bigger directions than that I even expected. Yeah. Um, again, directed by Robert Rodriguez, starring Ben Affleck, who, ugh, I can't believe I'm saying this on this pod, but I've got to dedicate it somewhere, I guess. I'm weirdly, I, I don't know if coming around on is the word, but like warming up to realizing, okay, you know what? Like, he's done some okay enough things recently. And weirdly, his behavior, which has been criticized by the media, is something that I just find more funny yeah. than anything else. Because I actually, I didn't really talk about it much on here, I don't think. I liked Air, which he directed and was in. Um, Hypnotic, again, I don't even know how to talk about this movie without spoiling it too much. Uh, the movie had a actually like a 60-ish million dollar budget. And it's kind of flopping big time right now. Uh, what do you take away from Hypnotic? I know it's been a little while since we've seen it now, uh, nearly two weeks. Yeah, but. yeah. Uh, it's I liked it, but oh, I'm, I don't know. Somebody I just, called it Inception for Dummies, and that might even be revealing too much about it even to say that. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, well, I don't just spoilers, I guess, because yeah. I, I want to talk about certain things about it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm just getting kind of tired of movies like this, Reminiscence, which I thrive on watching because no one, the movies that no one sees, I'm like, I want to go see that. But that at least had this like kind of bigger 
awareness about it, even though yeah. it didn't make but all that much money. This just kind of literally just came and that went. are getting made now, though, that are like, oh, this thing. It's like this thing all the time, and it's like, yeah. even Stranger Things is a big version of that. I know we talk about it all the time, but yeah, I'm just getting tired of the homage. Yeah, I don't know, or even conscious or unco- I mean, there as well. We already know what Orson Welles said about all that, but um, that I don't know. It was a lot like that. It was a lot like the Terminator movies. It was a lot like Memento. It was a lot like X Men. It was it just too many things. The Matrix, even, mm. um, to where I'm just like, okay, I would have rather honestly just seen the movie it said it was going to be than. You know, I think that, for me, yeah, you know. I, I would mostly agree with that. I do think though that like the part of the novelty of it is, I was not expecting it yeah. was going to be as complicated right. in its own way as it was. And I was like, and it kept having twists in it, and I was like, wait, what? Like we're going to do this now? We're going to do that now? Yeah. And again, I would have liked like a more again low grade version of what it was, but it was it was almost trying too hard because. It realized the confines of its mediocrity, and so it was like attempting to, well, let's do this, let's do that, right. and then you know, it just, uh, you know, again, it, yeah. I don't yeah. know, it didn't really take flight in a meaningful way, even though it was fine enough. I yeah. mean, it was entertaining enough. Yeah, I mean, it had Alice Brog in it. I like Alice Brog. I mean, it. I don't know. I have William Fickner. Well, I want to talk uh, about that. I mean, Exit. One for well, the ages. Well, we'll just go ahead and talk about it because yeah. whatever. We. We have a very strange sense of humor, as many people probably know by now, but um, the, the final moment of it is of, I guess, her telling him, the, the whole movie's about all this sort of mind control and suggestion, hypnosis, essentially. And there's like this whole shadow yeah. world of hypnosis. That, I don't know. Uh, yeah, anyway, and like there's a part where it's at the very end, and he's got a gun, and he's basically told to shoot himself. Yeah. So he points the gun at his own stomach and unloads the clip into himself. <laughs> and it was something that we like laugh and joke about around the house about yeah, like oh of, like yeah. you know doing stuff like that to ourselves, not with an actual gun, obviously, <laughs> no. but like. Uh, but it actually, it's like something we would laugh at and mm-hmm. like, oh, what if that happened in a movie, but it actually happened? And it was just like, wow. Yeah. So if you want to see that, it is worth waiting for, i got to say, but you won't be as surprised by it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of... And then the, the movie's ending, too, was very just like, oh, that's it. It's over now. <laughs> I mean, the movie... You when turn I your say, back on family yeah. kind of situation. That whole movie's a big you turn your back on family movie. Anyway. I don't know, like... I'm weirdly disappointed that it's not making more money. Uh, it's not that it's even all that good, but it's just like, eh, it tried to do... I would say it tried those things, but again, as you said, it's like, it's a four dummies version of all these way better things. Yeah. And so, I don't know if it necessarily needed to be, or should be successful, deserved to be successful, but it is kind of like, eh, Like, you know, I enjoy... All the other crap that's it, it out there. It kind of reminds me of Plane... Yeah, uh, I enjoyed that. That a definitely lot more. knows what it is right. and is not trying yeah. too too. Well, hard, and it's not. Like, yeah, and those are different movies by yeah. quite a bit. But it's just a movie that's kind of like, oh, whatever. You Disposable. Know. I want to go back real quickly. This just reminded me. I laughed. I made a joke about you turn your back on family. Mm-hmm. Whichever like Fast and the Furious movie that was, whatever happened there? Because it was like, oh, he's making out with Charlie's Throne in front oh, of. Right. Yeah, her and then she has to do this whole face of like I can't believe it's like how did that turn out because they're still in the same Fast movies X. together. Yeah, yeah, and it's weekend. like so, that's actually the big movie this weekend yeah, as we're well, recording this. Oh well. yeah. uh, that's but, actually not making right. as much money as was expected. I think too. Why so. would it? They just keep doing the same crap. Also, it's the first of a three-part conclusion. 
by the way, I think they announced. Okay. Um, but you know what I mean though? It's like whatever happened there, what was it all a joke? Was he was he hypnotized? Like what happened? <laughs> Did he unload a gun into his chest you know, chest or stomach and then live? Because that's another thing about the end supposedly there was a mid credit scene of hypnotic where oh wait, William Fickner's alive. Mm-hmm. Like just to talk about the box office real yeah. quick, uh, the top five films this weekend, Fast X, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the Super Mario Brothers movie, Book Club, the next chapter, and Evil Dead Rise. Uh, all sequels. We, we, I mean, we've already gotten to the point where we, we've accepted that reality. Yeah, because I was just sitting here, I can't, my eyes weren't able to focus on what all those names were, but I was just looking and I was like, all of those are like sequel titles, I can tell, most of them. Like, now, we talked know. about Evil Dead Rise last week, that was fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. um... Well, Super Mario this Brothers movie is not technically year. a sequel, but it's of course yeah. adapted right. from a big IP. But so. uh, this is that time of year where there's not a whole lot going on. So, as far as that goes, yeah, I mean we're officially yeah. in summer movie season already. Yeah. Uh, and there'll be stuff coming up. Yeah, that, yeah, no, yeah, July actually has in some June, pretty big times. releases uh, so, that we're actually interested. Another thing in. we'll talk real quickly about Peter Pan and Wendy. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, we don't David have much Lowry to say movie. about it. Uh, the biggest thing is this: the latest David Lowry movie, um, and as you know, Disney's been doing all these live action remakes. Um, he did one for Peach Dragon. He, yeah, he did one for Peach Dragon, which was a more recent movie, anyways. That came out right. like the eighties. Uh, but and the Little Mermaid is getting ready to come out. You know, it's funny about that movie, Peach Dragon, that original one. When I think about that movie, I just sit and I think, oh, is that that movie like some pot smoker came up with? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, Puff the it's Magic very, Dragon. Or, yeah, yeah, all yeah. that crap. It was a whole thing in the 70s and 80s where everybody was on weed and thinking everybody worshipped the devil. I'm just like, I don't really care about any of that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't but, have much to say about yeah. Peter Pan and Wendy. Sorry, I was busy. I'm sorry, I was busy not being alive. First of all, and second, I, I'm now busy listening to Peter Gabriel and Genesis. So no, I'm not into that whole like uh, you know <laughs> play acting. Yeah, or crap. Anyway, uh, again, we're I, I'm a big fan of David Lowry. Yeah. I mean, the old man, big the fan gun. Of David Lowry, I'm big fan of Peter Pan. So old man, the gun. I really think a lot of yeah. Green Knight. Uh, didn't totally love as much yeah, as I believe I did, but I did quite yeah. like. I mean, it's it's audacious. What a memorable certainly. situation that was to walk out of. Yeah, but, it does yeah. seem though. Actually, this is an arc we can already start to recognize in his career. And the movie, this fairly insubstantial, it still yeah. in its own way fits into this. Is that he seems like he is very interested in taking very basic mythological concepts and playing with them in some way, whether it be even as like uh, something like Eight and Them Body Saints, like a Bonnie and Clyde esque. Love story, yeah. bank, you know, robber kind, of, robbery kind of thing. Certainly with the ghost story, the whole idea of literally it's a ghost in a sheet walking around. Right. I mean, even something that basic. Um, the old man, the gun, of course, yet another kind of tweak for him on, like, say, you know, basically a kind of a classic cops and robber story, going all the way to like Peter Pan and Wendy, which of course yet another tweak on. Uh, the Peter Pan mythology, and then even, of course, Green Knight with that. That does seem like that's something that he's interested in. Hopefully, and I say this as a fan, he goes into the next phase or step of his interest because right now it doesn't seem like... He's made a lot of different types of things, uh, which is good. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially for somebody who is such a uh, 
kind of, uh, you know, Malik kind of uh, product of being yeah. working with Malik. That and certainly has, Anthony Saints is yeah. very rooted in right. that style more so. Uh, but yeah, that that hasn't really still been a big like he hasn't stuck to that, which is good. I think mm-hmm. that he's just not another Malik or you know whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This movie was fine. There was nothing really wrong with it, but it just ultimately begged the question of why. Uh, I mean, the most interesting thing about the movie, and I feel like what the whole point of the movie is, is that that whole revelation that Captain Hook actually was a friend of Peter Pan's, almost a former that, lost boy, basically. Right, that yeah. left and tried to go back and live normally in. And then real he world. got he came back and uh, was and was older, yeah, and and was angry that he kind of got sort of kicked out too. I think by Peter Pan because he was like, "Oh, you left and you don't care." Yeah. Uh, that was that was actually that like, was oh, interesting, wow. and the movie didn't play enough into that. Yeah. Also, the movie just didn't look that good, and I know that's just common with all these movies now. But even for David Lowry, I expected more. Well, I should say, I expected more from David Lowry, even in spite of that. I mean, The Green Knight was um, one of the most, yeah, you know, visually interesting fantasy movies in some years. I mean, along, had a lot so. of different color palettes. Yeah, uh, yeah, and this was just looked like it had a stomach ache. Is mm-hmm. I think the way I, uh, yeah, you know. Wrote about it, my. But yeah, nothing a whole lot to say about that. It was just very basic. Like, why are we making this? I don't know. I'll just yeah. rewatch Peter Pan. But, yeah, and again, know. and people have been saying this time and time and again, and they're getting ready to say it again a lot with the Little Mermaid, which is coming out. But like, you just look at the visual beauty and the color of those movies animated. Like, and we lo- we love that original Peter Pan, uh, you know, from the fifties that this is based out of. And this just looks like eh, muckety muck. The same whatever, thing with these like, uh, Pinocchio, for example. And I know they made that Pinocchio movie they've been making or something. I don't know. Well, then they made that. Uh, well, didn't they make one with Tom Hanks? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That which and, barely got any discussion. Obviously, the one that did get a lot of talk was the Guillermo del Toro. And that, that's not at all right, Disney. That was right. a Netflix. But that, yeah, that, that's movie. just like. I remember seeing stuff from that and then thinking about the original Pinocchio, which uh, we love. Yeah. It was one, one of, of our best. favorites. Yeah. The rough house, the rough house. <laughs> um, but, the, I mean, you think about the imagery of that, mm-hmm. and it's just like, what the hell is this? Why, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, like, you even think back to the Paul Rubens' Pinocchio, and that was, like, better than mm-hmm. that. You know, it's just like, I don't know. Don't forget yeah. about that story some years ago that uh, Robert Downey Jr. was trying to convince Paul Thomas Anderson to do a... Pinocchio movie. He's like, why don't I do that? Like, <laughs> basically. He never said that, but I know that's what he was thinking. Yeah. Um, all right, you want to talk about Can? Yeah, so... Uh, um, just, we're in the midst of it. It isn't even over. Yeah, so, so of course, yeah. in 2020, uh, we're in the midst of the 2023 Cannes Film Festival. Of course, that's in France. Arguably, we probably talk about Cannes here and there. Um, arguably, like it's almost like the Film Olympics every year. I yeah. mean, every major national cinema submits movies and it's literally i think without a shadow of a doubt probably the biggest film festival in the world yeah I mean, because in terms I, of its I don't pay enough and, attention to venice or uh i do pay Toronto, some attention to New sundance York, a little yeah. bit and i never pay attention to tribeca that's just something yeah. that i or toronto a little bit but mostly it's pretty much sundance and can uh, and the others kind of well, they're all they're things. all kind of split across the map, yeah. calendar wise. Right. Sundance is always known as for the first big one of the Tell year. Tell your ride. Sometimes you hear some stuff about too. Uh, Cannes is always in May, and again, that has this huge international appeal. That's trying to invite filmmakers and artists from all around the world, and it's the most prestigious. Uh, but then you have like the awards circuit movies of 
the like fall time where that's like Toronto and Venice and all Berlin's this. probably in there somewhere too. Berlin I think is always early in the year and it's like sometimes it's older like movies from the previous year oh, sometimes play okay. at it I think um I'm gonna check on that to make sure um but Levi for you what headlines have you been following out of Kansas because for us as cinephiles in rural North Carolina it kind of has this it, this mythic otherworldly we're hearing dispatches from this other movie uh, heaven that takes place uh, I'll save the worst I'll save the worst news for last we'll go ahead and talk about uh the, some of the movies you know what we're actually there for yeah so uh, by, by the way Berlin is in February okay. yeah uh because I know Magnolia won the golden bear and that was in early 2000 so I think that. didn't there will be blood win that too maybe I'm not sure or it was that. close to I yeah don't know. anyway yeah, the uh, okay. So we have the main three things. There's a lot of movies that are playing at Cannes, obviously, but the main kind of three things that uh, are big are the new Todd Haynes, Jonathan Glazer, and Martin Scorsese movies. Obviously, Killers of the Flower Moon just as of this recording was shown yesterday. Has been getting pretty rave reviews. Mm-hmm. I guess it would be described mm-hmm. as. Uh, I haven't heard as much about the Todd Haynes movie. I don't really it's, know what the uh, buzz on good, that good has reviews, been. Yeah. And of course, the zone of interest. Um, That's been getting the highest, been, best right. reviews. I'd say Which, overall, from what probably it looks from like. what I've heard is the the shoe in maybe for the Palm Day or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is that technically, I guess, a British movie. I don't know. Uh, it, because it says United Kingdom and Poland. Yeah, uh, because I know it would have been filmed all in German, probably in obviously. Poland and be in Germany, yeah, but. Who's gonna put that out? Is it A twenty four? Yeah, that's, that's kind of halfway says. aggravating, but whatever. Yeah. Um, that's not. That's obviously yeah. not gonna fit into no. their. Well, one of his movie movies. didn't. None of his movies have. Um, uh, but under the skins, kind of sort of does with the horror element of it. But that was in very. But early I feel like everything's been basing days. itself yeah. off of that yeah, almost right. because it's yeah. Jonathan Glazer. But um, it's more genre. Obviously, yeah. I'm very much anticipating that. And actually, Martin and me. Uh, just died yesterday, yeah. which is kind of strange that that happened right after this was shown. So I've already ordered that book, and I'm going to read it uh, before then. I don't know if you know, um, mentioned May December's the name of yes. the Todd Haynes mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, Asteroid City. I don't know when that's showing. It's probably in the next week. Yeah, there's not been anything um, about that yet, so that's probably getting ready right. to stream. Um, the new Wes Anderson movie. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of movies. Also, still, our friend uh, who was on the pod last week. Yeah, Vin Vendor. Uh, Vin Vendor's Perfect Days is which also is strange. In I don't know if he got the uh, if he got maybe the, that maybe that was why he wasn't here. Now we think about it, because maybe he was, you know, he sent his right. the, the, the communicatory Android. Well, of now, well, yes, but I also wonder if he was gonna. I would think he would just let the Android do all the talking, send that. But yeah. he's looking good. Yeah, he, he looks fit, healthy yeah. to be that age. You know what I'm the, him, not the android. I don't know about that. That was kind of weird. That had this metallic glow. It's like, you know that we, we recently bought some Garbage Pail Kids. You know, there was that one card that was like, uh, all the cards that were like the nickel-plated children. Yeah. And it looked kind of like that. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how to describe that. But. It says uh, Perfect Days, the Vendor's film, is yeah. uh, actually like going to premiere film, on... Or no, it is an actual movie. No, okay. it says uh, four short stories. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. I knew it was something like uh, that. About a toilet cleaner. <laughs> okay. Um, also, in Tokyo, uh, it sounds like it's ostensibly a Japanese movie. Almost. The Moldavar right? movie uh, came out too. That was a short film, uh, "Strange Way of Life" or "Strange Way of Living" or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, 
I haven't heard as much about that as far as what people think of it. But. I haven't either. Anyway. Um, also, just to say, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yeah, I was going to mention that has been a d- disaster. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that Harrison Ford won an honorary Palm Day or is laughable. Um, we were talking yesterday, though. I want to talk about this a little bit on here because we were talking about it on the way home. We went to Asheville yesterday, and uh, we were talking about it. I asked Kyle, I said, what exactly is the vitriol surrounding this new Indiana Jones movie? And you said what? Well, a lot of it comes down to A, why? Yeah. Secondly, okay. or B, uh, the CGI looks pretty bad or lackluster. And just the general, I mean, it fits into the general Lucasfilm fatigue by way of Disney now. And also the question of, wait a minute, so we don't have Spielberg involved in this anymore, Lucas isn't involved anymore, and also just that, like, well, I thought we did this already with uh, Kingdom, Kingdom of the Crystal, Crystal Skull. Skull, which there's already started to be a, uh, and this has been building for several years already, um, a defense of, of, oh, well, it wasn't so bad, and actually it's it might be the best one. Like, you know, some people just like, you <laughs> it, know, it, saying, Well, it, some days it's the worst, but now it's the best. Like, yeah, yeah I mean. It's like, no. Uh, and also yeah. then people, the vitriol against James Mangold. Mm. Oh, my God, James Mangold sucks. Why did they pick him? And then it's like, come on. And there's people that were Everybody's going already against, hating like, on the Bob Dylan movie like, that hasn't even happened. It's like, too, okay, yeah. Ford vs. Ferrari was very good. You uh, excuse me. You want you want to build a Ford to beat Ferrari. Beat Ferrari. <laughs> uh, Logan was awesome. I'm going to so, beat the drum Ferrari. Right? Yeah. The problem is not necessarily James Mangold with this movie that yeah. we've yet to see, and of course we're going to watch and have a thoughts and on on this say podcast that it sucks, and yeah. probably be like yeah. whatever. Uh-huh. Why? Um, but like that just seems so disingenuous to me. Oh, let's just totally trash Mangold's career because he made this one movie that was useless yeah. from every angle. Yeah. Why? Like, you know what I mean? Why was this movie made? Again John Reese Davies needed a paycheck. Somebody probably. He'd probably pay his mortgage or something. Somebody said that like we've already had three quote last Indiana Jones movies. Last yeah. Crusade was already kind of no, fashioned as and like none of them are good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but, um, but but like yeah. Last Crusade itself was fashioned as like that's it. Mm-hmm. We're done. And I would have been like, okay, yeah, good. And Spielberg yeah. literally rolled up his sleeves and was like, all right, I'm going to go do like Jurassic Park and Schindler's List now, you know, by that point. Um, and, but then, you know, by the mid-2000s, it was like, well, let's do one more. And I think that was fine enough to that also by that came point, off try of do... the resurrection of Lucas's career the after prequels, the yeah. prequels, and that's part of that. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean... It, I mean, so, it is yeah. one of those classic things. We're just getting to the phase of a lot of these, what was specifically with Star Wars and Indiana Jones, very cre- uh, creator-driven properties. And we've seen this with Star Wars for some years now. Uh, that are no longer in the hands of the creators. Now, with both of these things, both Spielberg and Lucas both willingly throw their hands up and say, we don't care about this anymore. Right. It ain't like they didn't have the control when it was taken away from off, them. Right. I mean, no, they yeah. were like, no, I'm going to... I mean, Spielberg, what's he doing? Oh, he made one of the best films of his career with the Fablemans. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Lucas is rightfully so just kind of doing what seems to be nothing for him, which yeah. is totally Appearing fine in the backgrounds of documentaries, going to food courts, that sort of stuff. You but, know. like, you know... It's, the stuff that retired old men do, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's just... I don't know. There's a lot of vitriol being thrown against this movie. It doesn't look all that good, but also it's like... 
to me, the stakes of it being good or bad are so low. I mean, it's like, it, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. either way, so, really. I yes. mean, I mean, best case scenario, it's fine. That's not going to happen. Uh, worst case but, scenario, yeah. uh, not good. The yeah, variance right. between yeah. those two <laughs> yeah. things are so small. It's just like, yeah. oh, who cares? Yeah, no, like, you and know. I think that's why my attitude towards it has been so lackluster, because they... Uh, even, our, even our cousin Philip was sent a text of the, that scene that they put out just before it showed it can uh, of it's like a chase uh, scene yeah in the movie. it's like of, of the little what, I don't know where it is it's those little buses or whatever yeah. and, there's, and everybody's like oh my god oh my god oh my god and I was just like what and everybody's like, like what do you mean I was like what, uh, CG you look bad I'm like yeah there should also be said that there's apparently a, a, a lengthy de-aging sequence yeah, with Harrison okay. Ford yeah. in the movie. Somebody said, why don't they just get Alden Ehrenreich to like play that uh, that like section or whatever in reference to Solo? But um, Yeah, that's funny. No, I mean... But, so uh, what? Who ca- I mean, the whole thing, who cares? Like, you know I mean, what was funny, by, by the way, and I, we'll come back to this in just a second. You know, there was, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this or not. I think we talked about it back in the day. I remember it was something that we talked about more in college, when I was in college, and that movie came out and we talked about it, uh, my roommates. There was that random guy that was on uh, YouTube or something, that this actor that looks quite a bit like Harrison oh, Ford, yeah, 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 yeah. and he kept doing these Harrison Ford impressions, and people were seriously like, no, he needs to play solo, get rid of Alden Ehrenreich. And I'm like, he can't act. And then, as it turned out, Alden Ehrenreich couldn't either, so it just kind of worked out, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so yeah, I just saw that, and I watched the scene of... It's like him oh, jumping right, yeah, between yeah. stuff, and and I just looked at it, and I was like, "Yeah, and and I didn't ask anybody, but I kind of thought to myself, I was like, "Okay, what's everybody so mad about?" Because to me, viewing something like that is so already a losing proposition. Like you, I saw that scene, and I was like, my mind had already shut it's it's interesting my mind had already shut down mm-hmm. to where it's like a new indiana jones movie my mind just shuts down automatically like, okay yeah what is this harrison ford and pretty much anything what's this what are we doing now mm-hmm. uh-huh. well it's like you we were talking about um, this yesterday i mean they have not made a great indiana jones movie since uh rares of the lost art well so, even temple of doom yeah, like which is was, really good was but, like, it was very yeah. clearly an indiana jones movie but doing something a little different than just the first one and then again, I'm not quite as down on Last Crusade as you are. Yeah. However, I do agree that it, these movies it, have gotten worse as they've gone. Yeah, gotten. and so, uh, just yeah. like okay, yeah, I do not like. Uh, like. I want to be clear on this. I do not like the Last Crusade. I think that movie is a joke. Um, Keep with the Crystal Skull got a lot of hate, and yeah. I'm not about to say it's some underrated right. masterpiece. It might yeah. be the best one. Uh, I'm no. dumb as hell. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would maybe even but, slightly I mean, prefer that one than Last Crusade. It, I but, thought it was at least like I kind of like the kitsch of it of like oh fifties let's do right. aliens like I like Daddy O and all that yeah I mean uh, some of that was kind of dumb but I also you kinda, remember I was, how stupid the opening of that movie was by the way where they had like the groundhogs mm-hmm. and Hound Dog was playing it was like CGI groundhogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you know, almost one like interesting that, sequence in that though was yeah. where they were trying to find the ark and they took shotgun shells and they took the pellets out of it and it like. Mm-hmm. was a magnetism of it yeah. or whatever. That was kind of interesting, but uh, just a waste of time. I mean, it's kind of funny that, you know, Indiana Jones in many ways became uh, like the American version of James Bond, of course. 
And then it's so much even weirder than James. Because James Bond, they're like, oh, well, we'll cast another guy and move on. Obviously, Indiana Jones was already like a period piece in the 80s, like about the 30s. And so they, and I think this speaks to both the strength and also downsides of the character. It's so specifically tied to the triumvirate of Ford, uh, Spielberg, Lucas, right? Mm -hmm. That, and the time period and the character. And I think that's a great thing in those movies, but then the further we move away from those things, the more it's like you just squint and you're like, is this even the same thing anymore? Like, for all of its very, for even all the problems of George uh, Lazenby, on Her Majesty's Secret Service is like, we're just going to keep going yeah. with this thing and do something it's never different. To the other fella. And yeah, the movie know. itself is very good, <laughs> even yeah, though Lazenby's right. not great, yeah, but he's, he's passable yeah. enough. The movie has its own problems. Right. Anyways, Bond found a way to kind of, and you know, there's too many Bond movies, obviously, but it found a way to move on and survive. I just don't know. If Even by like Jones. Goldeneye, for example, which is a really great Bond movie, yeah. is kind of even still post-Cold War finding new ways to still do things. Yeah, and, and I want to go back and say about uh, Temple of Doom, which I know is a pretty divisive movie, actually. It's weird because... I know a lot of people kind of didn't care for it in the moment. Um, it was also part of that wave of like kind of hyper violent PG movies of like you know movies that basically got the PG thirteen mm-hmm. to be a thing. Um, that and Gremlins are the two big examples people use. Um, but that another Spielberg produced movie in that right. sense. Right. Um, and Poltergeist. Well, that was yeah. rated R, but that was another thing that was yeah. a Spielberg you know, yeah. movie, uh, but, uh, well, produce, well, maybe yeah. co-directed, maybe yeah. directed, we don't know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that with Temple of Doom, what I think is so fascinating about, and inter- I keep using the word fascinating, I'm sorry, yesterday it was fidelity, now it's fascinating. <laughs> um, but, and we weren't even podcasting yesterday and it was fidelity, fidelity, yeah. high fidelity, I don't know, <laughs> I haven't even seen that. But, um, that with that movie, what was interesting about that was, first of all, it was a different enough location than, like, Egypt Nazis. Like, it was like, okay, let's go do this more... The more Eastern movie. Which is admittedly a lot of Orientalism in that, some, you know, uh, Indian stereotypes, yeah. which are bad. Yeah. But I think, first of all, that is a better representation of serial... Uh, and swashbuckling and pulp yeah. things than Last Crusade would be f- with all its problems. Or he, he met Hitler is. in that one. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> That's literally the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like people talk about. And let me just say, he Jar-Jar says this Binks. regularly. This isn't just something you're. No, just no, no. Saying. I mean, you regularly talk about it. that. Yeah. I remember when I first saw it, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I was like, "This is literally the dumbest." And you thing said I've that as a child. Seen. Yes. No, <laughs> so, literally, yeah. when I was a middle schooler, I saw it. and I was like, "That is so stupid." And <laughs> here we are. We'll talk more about that in a minute, actually. I want to say some stuff about that and how that's kind of, a, a, you know, just a stain on the on the memory of history anyway. On the memory uh, of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, what I mean is is that it's making yeah, fun yeah. of that, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, I don't think this is yeah. funny. Um, but that with even with its problems of those, of kind of some, you know, problematic representations of, race and and even sexism that's in which was not as much a part of Raiders but is more quite a bit more of uh, Temple of Doom but that movie just has such a dynamism to it visually narratively 
action scenes that are good. Like, I mean, one of the most iconic images of Indiana Jones is him, that one of uh, Harrison Ford on the bridge yeah. with the machete. Like, you don't really get as much of that, I don't feel like. And Last Crusade, just to say about that, literally says, let's do Nazis again. Let's do the let's, Holy Grail. And let's throw so, in Bond. Right. Yeah, with and Sean so Connery's presence. People yeah. are so obsessed with that. I could literally care less. Like that means no, means nothing to me. Ah, Vienna. <laughs> um, but that specifically also the tank scene in that movie yeah. where he straight up dies. Yeah. No, like what? There's uh, in the nuke the fridge moment people talk right, about in yeah. uh, Cave of Crystal Skull. But I don't know. I just still feel like Temple of Doom is a really moody, and there's a whole story behind that about their personal lives at the time of George Lucas, Lucas and, and Spielberg, Spielberg going through their divorces. And so, Not from each other. Which, right. But also what's interesting about that, though, is that that came in the midst of their huge success of career-wise. Yeah, and right. They still felt that way, which says a lot about show business, yeah. I think. Um, but, because there's no business like, like show business, mm-hmm. as they say. Yeah. We're going to talk about another show business hack here in a minute. Don't worry when we get back to talking about Cannes. Well, before we get um, to that, I want yeah. to actually talk briefly about the movie, the some of the big books. Oh, well, yeah, 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 right, yeah, right, right. But that, anyway, with Last Crew, with, sorry, Temple of Doom, that movie just is very moody and uh, and engaging and fun. Like mm-hmm. I said, and it is very problematic, and it's it has a lot, a lot of things about it that are like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. But still, even just has as a, just an action movie is good. Yeah. Uh, consistently throughout what I remember of, of Last Crusade, which I admit I've only seen once, but that was enough. Um, I remember watching that in eighth grade. We had watched uh, Vic Wilcox, who was one of my favorite teachers I've ever had. Um, we watched. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark towards the end of the year because it was Nazis or it was a vaguely World War Two centric thing, mm-hmm. and then we watched that afterwards, and we just skipped Temple of Doom because it, you know, or yeah. did we? I don't remember. I'd seen Temple of Doom a lot by then, so I watched Last Crusade, and that's a movie that is a lot of people's favorite by far. Most people think that, so everybody's just so that tuned Raiders. out by now. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I think it's just so lazy because, like I said, you get the Nazis back, you're doing the Holy Grail, which is kind of the laziest possible, like, you know... Um, it's like, literally, like, what have we not hit yet? Right. Oh, duh, and that. Because even the Ark of the Covenant fits in with it being the Nazis want this Jewish artifact. Like, yeah, that right. makes sense as yeah. a story. Yeah. Like, okay. Um, well, I don't really know why they'd want the Holy Grail. So the whole knot um, in it, too, you know, like... so dumb. Yeah. I, it, and that's what I'm saying. It's just there's so many decisions in that movie. Then there's the whole sequence that's the, uh, basically the Hindenburg type thing. I know it's not actually the Hindenburg, yeah, but yeah. it's like this big blimp, uh, yeah. this uh, dirigible. And uh, and there, then don't they bring back a guy that looks like that big muscle man guy in the Raiders? So. I don't remember and there's that a fight. Really much, yeah. There's also I mean, it that, feels like they they know they're repeating themselves yeah, by the third one. One thing I mean. that is funny in that movie, though, is there's that Nazi... Uh, uh, dive bomber coming down. <laughs> They're like on the beach, don't know what to do, and so he pulls out an umbrella and oh, like right, forces right. the birds into the plane. Yeah, right. Which is wrong on so that, many right? levels. Yeah. yeah, because I'm sure Peta gets pissed about that scene yeah. all the time. 
But it's just like, first of all, that wouldn't, I don't know that that would work. Yeah. Like, um, but it's just hilarious, subjectively. Um, hey, I, I don't know if he had a Bond-like line after that. It would have been funny if they threw that in there. Like, oh, yeah. Like, uh, but then, and then there's that part that is... The bird just uh, took I that do, effing plane down, you know? Just, <laughs> uh, Operation Bird Slam. Uh, <laughs> Operation Flew the Coop. I don't know. Um, but uh, the... No, he should yeah. like he should have jumped out of the dive bombers is coming down and then oh he flew the coop like, yeah, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Look, he's flown the coop. Yeah. And then yeah, and then they would like interrogate him or something. It would be like that scene in the Untouchables where like you're effing with the G here, pal, or what you know. That's a bad movie too, as we've talked about multiple times yeah, we'll, on here. And, we'll, and we'll eventually do. Yeah. Um but the anyway where what time is it? Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh they the, start to find an right. escape patch from but, the end of but, Yes, but anyway that uh there's that one part though in it that I think is funny. They're having like a uh, chase with motorcycles, and he takes like a pole oh, right. and throws yeah, it that. into the like wheel rim, and it like flips the thing. That's pretty funny. But yeah, that movie I don't like at all, and I think is a joke. Um, but but going all that's just to say, getting back to this, all this vitriol that that movie's received, I'm like, yeah, it's another Indiana Jones movie. Most of those are not good at this point. Yeah. Or I don't like very much. So, right. yeah. So that has been interesting. The fact that, yeah, Harrison Ford got an honorary Palm Day or I think is laughable, mm-hmm. too. But um, he's often been accused of being wooden, but that's also because he used to be a carpenter. So, <laughs> I guess. But, yeah, the zone of interest, movies, is, yeah. as we said earlier, yeah. that's been getting like. And that's not my most reviews. anticipated, other than maybe Kills of the Flower. And Moon, let me but, just say that. Um, Talk, you know, we might have talked about this back on yeah. the Sexy Beast podcast, the possibility of this eventually being a project. Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't know that it was even this far along. I thought it was still... I didn't quite know. I knew off. it was filming, but I didn't know it was done. Um, again, I'm a fan of Jonathan Glazer's work, obviously, but um, and this was before I even learned even more about the Holocaust. Um, seeing another Holocaust drama was something that gave me a lot of pause to the point of thinking, what is this going to be... Uh, do we want to do this? And again, I say this to somebody who thinks we need to have tough, problematic art about all these Mm, things, but still I'm just like, okay, yeah. But hearing actually the angle of what this movie is about, um, and just to give a brief overview, uh, and I think it's slightly different than the novel too. Yeah. So it's based on, as Levi said, Martin Amis book, the zone of interest, uh, the commandant of Auschwitz, uh, Rudolf Haas and his wife, Hedwig, uh, strive to build a dream life for their family in a, gar- uh, in a house in a garden next to the camp. And then hearing about how the the aesthetics of the movie made me go, oh, of course. Of yeah. course he'd find some other right. way to do this other than let's just do another movie that's just this full-on awful depiction yeah. of that. And in its own way, sounds like it's going to be a horrific Yeah, and I think uh, they said film. it doesn't really go into the camps. It doesn't... Uh, her a lot of this, a lot of it's accomplished through sound design and right. the score by Michael Levi uh, doing the score, mm-hmm. and that you can hear the camp more than see it. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I had already known ahead of time all oh, that's going to be really great, and thankfully it sounds like it has been. So and again, uh, May December, that's Todd Haynes's mm-hmm. uh, film. Yeah, twenty years after their notorious uh, tabloid romance script, the Nation of Married Couple. Uh, with large age disparity, buckles under the pressure when an actress arrives to do research for a film about their past. Um, uh, Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore are both in that. 
Uh, and so, again, anything about Todd Haynes. This will be his first narrative film since Dark Waters, which has been a little while, actually, now. Because yeah, what he loved is the Velvet, Velvet Underground, Underground documentary, yeah. but mm-hmm. how's that? Uh, and again, Asteroid City, that's not premiered yet, yeah, we but talked obviously about that, a little bit. that trailer looked pretty great. Um, the Killers of the Flower Moon trailer came out um, uh, a, a few ago. days ago. Yeah. Um, I had no doubt that a Martin Scorsese movie was going to look and sound great um, because I'm literally he's my favorite filmmaker and we've talked about him a lot already. The movie looked amazing. Yeah. It's going to it's gonna come out theatrically in um, October and I think it's going to be Visually, it Plus reminds release. me quite a bit of uh, the city scenes remind me kind of a Once Upon a Time in America um, and I just love the look of things like that. That's a movie I think is pretty problematic and I have certain ideas about but um, that yeah, a very Chimino esque, also. Um, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that because it seems like, as great as his gangster movies are, it is always nice to see him do something different. And I know he's always thought about doing, or, you know, he's always, he loves westerns, but it's never done a western. I don't, I think people are going to overblow yeah. this being a western. I don't mm-hmm. think that is what it is exactly, but just to see western imagery from him, I think is good. Yeah, um, but yeah. So again, and uh, you know, we've of course never been to Cannes, so it's always oh, we this, never will get to go. Yeah, so, it's yeah, always but, this far off yeah, thing. Right, but. Uh, but it's it's always it, it is one of those things. It does even from the outside give you an awareness of various films that are going to be of note in the months to come, especially coming out. So, but to speak a little bit about uh, the return of something. Oh, uh, God. Yeah, I, 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 forgot I don't know that. how long we want to talk about Jonathan Debt today. Go look it all up. Enemy it's all the there pod. for you to see. Not a friend uh, of the pod. Enemy no. of the pod, obviously. You know, I heard that his... So, what's the movie, by the way, that Jean, he's... Jean de Berry, uh, and it's something about King Louis the Fifteenth and some at... I don't know. And uh, it actually opened the festival... Uh, it's not in competition. Uh, you know what the movie that's closing the festival is? What's that? That Pixar movie, Elemental. Oh, really? What a what a bookend that is. Um, but anyway, the movie got pretty whatever reviews. Yeah, it uh, seemed like in a costume drama, right? And I think the the uh, lead of the movie, the female lead, is also the director. Mawen, um, is her name? Yeah. Um. And it's been getting pretty whatever reviews of just like, oh, it's just another biopic, who cares? But, oh my gosh, like, I heard how bad it was, but then I went and watched it. The uh, His press pres- conference. The succeeding press conference afterwards. Yeah. Where he comes in like 20 minutes late into, I think. Well, he's always wanted uh, to be a rock star deep down, so right. this is where it scratches um, that itch for him. Looks as bad as always. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like he smells like a, you know... It's like, you know how, like, you open up a magazine and there's those, like, uh, uh, cologne inserts in them? Oh, right, yeah. it smells like that, but, like, you're sitting on a commode in a truck stop mm-hmm. bathroom and you get the whiff of both at the same time? Mm-hmm. That's what I think he would smell like. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and he starts getting well, asked it's like this, about... It's just, uh, just to clarify, yeah. it's this combination of manufactured class... With true petrified bona fide garbage, you know, it's just yeah, like that, right. you know that, those yes. two things together. That's that that yeah. makes the career of Jonathan yeah. Debt. Um, and so he uh comes out there 
He he's answers a, a couple normal questions, and then he's asked a lot about, and then he starts the Amber Heard slash right. Me Too he get, right. situation, and he starts just you know mouthing off. I mean, he's not screaming and yelling; it's nothing like that. It he's, almost makes it worse, though. Well, he has just, this whole self-satisfied, right. yeah. smug, amused like I thought we were over all this attitude yeah. about the whole thing, right. and it, you know, it's always usually a lot of the best things about Ken's. Um, press conferences, which are legendary in their own yeah. right, uh, are watching the reactions of other people that are sitting up there. People that are just wanting to, you know, there's always, in these circumstances, there's always, and it is a bad boy, always, yeah. always the bad boy loudmouth who is trying to make a name for themselves and or is the center of attention and revels in being the center of attention while everyone else is forced to just sit there and, uh, you know... Like what happened, like I said, Lars von Trier, there's a version of that with the Hitler stuff. Yeah, and then Kristen Dunst was was sitting there. And she was even out loud saying, oh my God, stop talking. A few times while he was talking. uh, And then, well, what's a more interesting one is the crash uh, can press conference which is legendary yeah, right. that's kind of everyone is just pissed off yeah, like right. everybody because yeah, that got a very bad uh, yeah, um, reception by the critics yeah, which we love there. that movie yeah. but i get why I that would be coppola like, wow. was famously the head of the jury that year and he was like we are not giving this anything it's kind of funny it's like coppola is someone who's a fan of art and has made great art himself how he would have such a negative reaction to that's know. a little shocking yeah. to me. but um but anyway uh yeah, so he starts so, talking about McDonald's. That, well, that's the bit. You need to go see it for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I don't it's think gonna we're going to drop any no, clips, but but, but it's already thing. become part of the lexicon. I feel like yeah. a lot of things he says. I mean, there's that. The thing that's most confusing to me, I think he's talking about basically the the basic BS of Cannes and film festivals of like he's what he describes as the things you line your shoes with, or the things you stuff your shoes with, the things you line your birdcage with. It's a little boring, isn't it? Well, and so, it's well like, like your filmography? Like, yeah, and like, it's also like, well, your movie that you're here promoting is exactly that thing, well, yeah, by the yeah, way. Yeah, what the hell is he talking but about? But then he starts saying something like, uh, um, uh, something bird records, un, uh, something parrot records unreleased Beatles song. <laughs> or unrecorded Beatles song or something. And it's just, and everybody's like, what's so funny about it? And I don't know if it's that the translations were screwed up. Or, well, that's always a problem. Right, in these or situations. everyone was just like, but uh, there was a lot of, uh, not a whole lot of laughter when he tried to make jokes. So, but another big thing was at the end when he when they said a guy asked for, I think it's from Variety, he asked something like, uh, well, what would you say to people who are criticizing you for come, coming to Cannes? And he goes in this long metaphor about what if I was unable to go to McDonald's and there were 39 people sitting in a room angrily watching me eat a Big Mac just for fun, as he says it. Yeah. And then he says something about uh, a uh, that towering pile of mashed potatoes. Like, it's so, very much yeah. going into his Brando phase. Yeah, it's like that it. mixed with that uh, Canadian audience there's a real mashed potatoes, no gravy, as we heard Billy from Bob Billy Thornton. Bob Thornton. Yeah. Just a total One of my favorite wreck. insults ever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, a, just as, a, as a fan of mashed potatoes with no gravy. I right. just think that's a And Canadians. Insult. Yeah. And maybe not Billy Bob Thornton. Maybe um, it was Canadians who were like, why the hell is Billy Bob Thornton trying to be a musician? Yeah. Though, anyways. It's like, yeah. 
I don't know. It's like when it's like when Lyle Lovett decided he was going to be in uh, Shortcuts, which was a great performance, by the way. Just want to be clear on that. Getting all mad but, about birthday cake. Uh, come pick it. Oh, how is he? How is he? Uh, he's dead. <laughs> like, but, that is an awful character, i got to say. And the, you know what's so funny about that character, too, is he's the most basic-looking chef. He has the hat. Well, got a hat yeah. on. It's like, just like, it's like they were like, let's just, Lyle, what would a Lyle Lovett pastry, or sorry, like cake chef look like? Let's do that. Or cake baker. Let's do that. There's a like, lot to laugh at but, about the yeah. joke of a Johnny, uh, Jonathan yeah. dead. Excuse, yeah, excuse me. me. Uh, but I do, yeah. and, and it's easy to just laugh at it and roll right. your eyes and say, screw him, who cares, and yeah. move on. He plays the same playbook that Donald Trump a lot of people who are criticized for abuse or known abusers do, yeah. where they do this whole thing about, in, in, in so many words, specifically with that whole McDonald's yarn. About who spoke, cares what I do. or That, yeah. like, it, right. it all becomes like, if they can come after me, they can come after you. And it's right. just like this whole, yeah. turning this whole victim. It's like, you're literally objectively one of the most successful movie stars of all time. Act like it. Stop being a victim. Yeah. Same thing with Donald Trump. You're literally one of the most successful businessmen, at least, uh, you know. One of the most successful uh, white uh, men ever. Yeah, just I mean, like. Yeah. And that they, these again, and again, it's always going back to mostly being these successful white men who try to create this victimhood card when they have had nothing but success in their lives after a certain point. And it's like. And, the, the, and they, they, they raise this, yeah. uh, they raise an awareness from and love from a uh, fandoms that look at them as faultless, um, diseased, uh, you know, maniacs who that nobody can do anything that can put them off of their pedestal. And if you don't like them, you're just a hater and yeah. you don't get it and you're part of the problem. And so, in a very subtle way, as somebody who once made a film making a short film making fun of Trump and very famously said who's the last actor to assassinate a president well you know it's too bad you didn't because we wouldn't have Trump and you'd be rotten behind bars that's a win-win to me you mm -hmm. know what I mean so it's too bad that didn't happen right but again I just I, yeah there's and, a lot about him that just really infuriates me in a deep and, level and in terms all, of this victimhood all of his problems are self-inflicted oh, yeah. all of them yeah. we call him Jonathan Depp his <laughs> real name for a reason yeah. because of all the immense <laughs> Money wasting that he has. Yeah, there's done a legendary the Rolling years. Stones article it several years so ago that went bad. through all that. It is so bad. No. The amount of money he spent alone on Hunter S. Thompson's funeral, which is an admirable act, <laughs> let me say. <laughs> the and, one time uh, you should. The be one spending. time you did something yeah. good. Yeah. Um, it Even was just still, astronomical. Yeah. The amount it actually, like, it, literally, it was shooting his ashes out of a cannon, <laughs> which was in. Thompson's Which deal. I wouldn't weirdly think would but, actually be that much money. No, to but do, it but. spent way more. It was basically a fireworks yeah. show, yeah. more or less. Because they made it the green gonzo like fist that he yeah. used when he ran for uh, sheriff of wherever, or Wood, or Woods Hole, Colorado, <laughs> wherever he's from. Or and, Kentucky. Well, he was well, from Kentucky. Well, but no, yeah, but he, he lived yeah. in Colorado yeah. most of his life. Uh, uh, no, not Woods Hole. What is it? Owl's Owl Creek is where yeah, he lived. Right, right. I don't remember the na name of the town. Name in town. Name in town. Name in town. As Bill O'Reilly used to say, another if scumbag. To if you wish to opine, he's another victim. Yeah, but yeah, it's just interesting how much of that has really been self-inflicted, and that he's gotten away with pretty much everything. Yeah, there's only, I was only a one more self-inflicted thing for him to do. Yeah. <laughs> 
make a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I was just talking to somebody this week who will remain nameless. I don't think they listen to this podcast Not anyway. Not source. That said, I was talking to about this. He's like, well, they kind of cleared all that up, and he didn't really do that stuff. And I was just like wanting to laugh. Like, well, that just proves that all me? this was about like, restoring his PR as yeah, opposed yeah, to proving yeah, anything. Yeah. But yeah. No, and it's like, okay, Amber. Which it clearly has worked, unfortunately. Say, clearly, Amber Heard is also Nuts. a insane crone. Like, let's get that out of the way. But he had he had a history of no, uh, listen, accusations you, before her. Yes, and you look at, and they also said, well, there were all these other people who said he didn't do things. And I'm like, well, I'll be. Yeah. Oh, where'd they find them? You know, yeah. it's like, oh, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, and, and just, you don't need to know anything else other than the video, which is objectively him walking around the kitchen screaming and yelling. And it's like, there's no way that guy isn't abusive. Well, right. Like, yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter how much is manufactured, how much is this, how much is that. It's the same thing with the Bill Cosby stuff, which is obviously way more definitive yeah, that right. he did do those things. Where there's smoke, there's fire, yeah. always. Yeah. I don't care what it is. Like If there's enough bad publicity surrounding something, there pro- that probably means it happened. So, yeah, whether or not Amber Heard was the one that got picked to that all this happened with doesn't really matter because it's all there for everybody to see. And if you don't, then you're just a fool but, or but, you're a liar. But listen, so, Jonathan, we'd love to have you yes, on the pod for you yeah. to clear yourself, to, you know. To call us a pile of mashed potatoes. Yeah, I mean, it literally does sound like Brando when you say that. Yeah. I miss Brando. Why can't we have Brando well, back? He, he went the same you know, way. Well, he wasn't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. he wasn't abusive, but like, he was nuts. fat with success. That's that's what these guys' problems are. I mean, they just you know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to make this the. Um, I'll find any way to praise Leonardo DiCaprio and such in yeah. any of these things. But like, I don't know. You look at what a movie star is like. What a movie star should be ideally is constantly challenging the material, working with great filmmakers, yeah. not filmmakers who are just going to put them in, or like say a Tim Burton, and do the same thing, rinse and Raven rinse Gore, and repeat Bermansky. time and time and again. Yeah, right. uh, with the Lone Ranger, that was the most god almighty. I don't even know. I mean, we can w- probably do a whole podcast on that movie and still have no idea what to say about it. Like, I don't Army know. Hammer also involved in that. Yeah. Also. I don't know. So this has been your report from the Kansas Film Festival 2020. We spent most of it talking about Indiana Jones and Jonathan Depp. So what if now, maybe that needs like a crossover? Like you need like Indiana Jones. I remember and, we were uh, laughing the other night about of some, you know, the images of him as Grindelwald. Oh god! And we were like, "What is that? Like it just looks so bad." Well, he know. was in at least the first one of those. He might have been in he the got second one. I don't out know. After a while, though, you know, because yeah. of all this, and then he's like. I got kicked off a film. It's like, oh man, because that movie was going to be so good. Yeah. You know. Let's talk about movies that are good, though. Yeah. About that. Well, one that is definitively good. The yeah. other, we're not so sure, but. Yeah, but at least it, it tries its best, you know. It's better than Jonathan Depp. So. Can you imagine Jonathan Depp in that role in Basic Instinct? And, uh, and Douglas's role. Douglas's role. Oh, yeah. God. Well, back in the 90s, he was a halfway interesting actor. Yeah. You know what I mean? That would have been pre-Dead Man, so yeah. walking down the street, Dead Man. <laughs> Here's the trailer after Platoon. for 1992's Hard Boiled.
You didn't hear a lot of dialogue. Now, of course, we trailer. had another trailer uh, that was mostly music and a lot I, of gunfire. I, I, I imagine yeah. that played here in America, in you know, in key, you know, more larger markets or cities because right. that was when how the movie would have been seen. Well, also, mostly. and yeah. it was like we don't even we're not even going to like have another no, so quote, like foreign language guess in what? this. Guess like, what? Here's the movie. Yeah. Here's what it is. And yeah. it's like, yeah. I mean, the I mean, shot that really gets me in the movie and in the trailer, too, is like the 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 motorcycle that's midair, and then there's a shot that <laughs> just blasted. blows up into flame. Yeah. Like I did really like the way that it did in the movie and in the trailer about when they're both pointing the guns at each other's necks, I think is a really good image of just, like, yeah. hatefulness. <laughs> like, you know. Uh, all right, Levi, what's hard-boiled right, about? So, hard-boiled is a 1992 Hong Kong action thriller film directed by John Woo from a screenplay by Gordon Chan and Barry Wong. The film stars Chow Yun-Fat as Inspector Tequila Yuen, Tony Ling, Tony Leung Chu Hua as Allen, an undercover cop, and Anthony Wong as Johnny Wong, a leader of the criminal triads. The film was John Woo's last Hong Kong film before his transition to Hollywood. After making films that glamorized gangsters and received receiving criticism for doing so, we wanted to make a Dirty Harry-styled film to glamorize the police. That's an interesting way to put that, but okay. With the death of screenwriter Barry Wong, the film's screenplay underwent constant changes during filming. New characters such as Mad Dog and Mr. Wu were introduced. Now, Mad Dog was that our favorite character in the movie, yeah. I, I'm guessing. Uh, uh, yeah, Mr. Wu. <laughs> Which is literally John Wu in the movie. Like, and, Yeah, know, well, we'll talk but, about that yeah. later. Um. While the original plot line of a baby poisoning psychopath was cut? What? There is a lot of stuff in this movie, though, about babies. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why is there this much of this? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. <laughs> um, essentially, this came after uh, his movies of Better Tomorrow uh, and The Killer, which were really commercially successful in Hong Kong. Uh, I know A Better Tomorrow had its own kind of spate of sequels. Um, that movie's pretty good, but... It's not quite as good. The killer, I quite like. This, the, and then I think a bullet in the head was kind of not a bullet to the head, but a bullet in the head was around this time too. But yeah, this was kind of his big send off before coming to Hollywood and making stuff like Hard Target, uh, Face Off, Paycheck, uh, and Mission Impossible. Paycheck. Food. I've actually heard some um, okay movie. That's yeah. always made me laugh. And it's like Paycheck. Like we're all taking paychecks yeah. for this one. But but essentially, this movie is more or less about. Uh, a gun smuggler, uh, basically leader of a triads, who was being investigated by uh, Chow Yun-Fat's character, Tequila, cop, is yeah. his nickname, uh, who's basically going after him, trying to find where they have all their guns at. Basically, it's in the bottom of a hospital, which is one of the more ridiculous things yeah. about this movie. Um, but in the midst of all that, Tony Leung's character is this undercover cop who is actually with this other gang... Um, led by Uncle, what's his name? Uh, Uncle Hoy. Uncle Junior. Oh. Uncle Hoy, and then he kind of starts working with the Anthony Wong character, Johnny Wong, uh, to kind of basically find out where they're hiding all their guns and everything. And it ultimately becomes about uh, them eventually of Chow Yun Fat and Tony Leung working together to take them down, and it's a it's a Hijinks a big old shootout basically, mm-hmm. but. Um, we'll go through the cast quickly. Xiao Yun Fat as uh, Inspector Tequila Yuan Ho, Ho Yan. A clarinet playing alcoholic police. I never really got the sense that he was an alcoholic exactly, but 
I yeah, guess. that might have been mentioned, but maybe that's why it's called Tequila, too. I, I don't guess, know. But, yeah. yeah, that was not as big of a part of the yeah. movie as it Anyway, a clarinet playing alcoholic police sergeant with a reputation for defying his superiors and bending police rules. That's definitely true. <laughs> uh, he basically goes on a whole raid single-handed, by the well, way. The um, one where he's, like, coming down from yes, the roof. Yes, that's yeah, yeah, literally yeah. not yeah. sanctioned yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> literally, they actually say, what's the chief going to say? He's like... Don't worry about it. Basically, <laughs> and just like goes in there and just blasts literally blasts away. everybody away. Yeah. Um. But uh, he had worked with John Woo obviously before with the Better Tomorrow, the Killer, and Once a Thief. He would later be in. I don't actually know what he's been in in a while though. But he would later be in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, Had a small which, role I remember in uh, uh the oh god the third Pirates movie. Oh Very yeah, small right. right in barely in it. Yeah, but he's he like in, part of the Pirate Confederacy yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, he really, I really like him as an action star. I mean, I haven't seen him in like a bunch of stuff, but well, everything yeah, I've seen him in, he really. I good. would agree. Sal uh, Fang in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he's great as a lead for this. Yeah. Uh, really good sense of humor. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's really funny. Let me look and see what the latest thing he's been in actually. Um. Was Project he, Gutenberg. Was he in that movie Bulletproof Monk? I feel like I saw trailers for that back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yes. Monk with no name. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a trailer for that here a while back, and I was like, "There's no way this is a real movie." Like, it was just so insane. Um, but yeah, he uh, he's been in a lot of different things, and uh, he actually played I mean, Confucius in a movie. He's probably one of the most recognizable film stars yeah. in the world when you yeah. really think about it, in terms of being a non-American as far as how big these movies are, right. or the Hong Kong films yeah. are around the world. Uh, but yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff, and he's always really good. Tony Leung, speaking of really good, um, as Alan, an undercover cop posing as a high-ranking triad assassin. He makes an origami crane every time he kills someone, a trait which was influenced by Wu's daughter when he saw her making them. <laughs> so so that means John Wu was watching his daughter make he was like, uh, paper cranes, and he said, he, hmm. she kills my joy. Hmm. What if, like, yeah, 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 I don't like, know. Or, like, or yeah. she brings me joy. What right. brings this character joy? Killing people. Right. Oh, what if he made cranes every time he kills somebody? Yeah, right. Which, in my memory, it's like, you should be making more cranes. Uh, let me also say, and I love Tony Leung. Yeah. You know, he's really yeah. memorable in, um, well, I won't call it wife. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, um, he's great in general. I, w- I did, and again, this isn't exactly a problem because this movie has its own internal logic that you just go with after a point. But, like, the amount of bad stuff he's doing yeah. is an undercover cop, and he's just like, oh, well, whatever. Like, yeah. Just let him get away with that. I'm sometimes like, would that really be yeah, allowed? Yeah, like, there's like, the scene where he has the lighter, and he puts it in the guy's pocket and then shoots him, and he falls in the water, and then he lives, but then he's later uh, cut out of the movie. Yeah. Let's say it. I think yeah. that cut out is yeah. a good way to say <laughs> But it's like the insanity of doing something like that. Obviously, it's ridiculous and yeah. it wouldn't work because yeah. there's no way, first of all, that you could shoot somebody that directly mm-hmm. and it blo- block it. But also, it, that would blow right through that. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, but um, but yeah, just the stuff he does is so bad. It's yeah. just like yeah. But anyway, it also says uh, he's shown as living alone on a yacht and considers himself to be asocial. <laughs> Which, by the way, has its own Wikipedia page. Which, dang it, it went away now. Hang on. Anyway, it says, Wu stated this was influenced by Elaine Delon's character in uh, La Samurai. Leon probably worked with Wu on his film Bullet in the Head. I do remember that, which I haven't seen all of. But, yeah. Uh, hang on. There's this is funny about this asocial. i got to read what that says when it comes up. Uh, I think they're both a really good... Uh, oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, a lack of motivation to engage in social interaction. 
This is just a funny way to put that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they're a really great uh, co-lead role, uh, both yeah. of them. I think that. Yeah, they. I think yeah. you know, there's just both visually, but also in their characters, like how intense um, Tequila is and following through on his mission, and there's this almost like. Uh, handsomely smug quality about Leung's character yeah. in this movie mm-hmm. that he's like, well, if I really wanted to, I could just kind of abandon the police force and just join the triads if I really wanted to. And now he doesn't, but yeah. like, and that creates an interesting tension. One that I thought a lot about. I don't know. We didn't really mention the Departed while we were watching yeah, this, but there yeah. was an element of that that, which of course that's a a remake of the Hong Kong movies Infernal Affairs, which are a whole mm-hmm. other thing. But um, I did think a little bit about that the the DiCaprio Damon divided and that they are not allies at all in that movie so that's something that's different but it it did make me think right yeah uh but they're both yeah really good and And great in everything and and it is really like it does feel a lot like either that damon dicaprio or de niro pacino kind of yeah uh, yeah right but but very organic right um even for americans who have seen their movies but like it still feels very big, I think, and, mm-hmm. and very fortunate that that even happened. Yeah. Um, Teresa Mo is Teresa Chang, a fellow police officer's girlfriend. Of Tiki- I'm going to go through these a little yeah. quicker. Helps to decode the secret code songs that are sent to the police by Alan, written on cards attached to bouquets he has delivered to her. That's all very complicated part of the story, is the way that he communicates with the police is through... Uh, the way that Leung communicates to the police is through Chow Yun-Fat's girlfriend who works there. Before the police, yeah, right. she's like a, like I said, a, technically a police officer, yeah. but she kind of is more of like a desk job thing, Yeah. but yeah, that she's always like, Fa-la-ti-do, and all that yeah. stuff about like trying to decode it, and one of my favorite scenes is where the Philip Chan, who's the the uh, superintendent Pang, who's the like, basically the chief of police, yeah. there's that scene where he's trying to read it out, and she helps, and he's like, uh, thank you, like, and yeah. you know, it's like in... English, but yeah, right. it's weird. But um, a lot of but uh, yeah, she's good for what she is in it. She's it is kind of a stock, lot, but female. Yeah. She gets character. a lot more kind of at the end when she's helping take care of the babies when the yeah. hotel's gonna. Or sorry, not the hotel. The hospital is gonna blow up, and she's having to get them out. And there's that great moment where she's like, "You're not gonna do this." And a guy slaps her and says F and B or something, and she literally unloads yeah. a whole clip into him. It's just yeah. like, wow, yeah, okay. <laughs> like women can do this too. Like you already knew that, but cool. Um, Philip Chan, we mentioned prior to the film, he actually was a police officer. Um, before this, for like fifteen years, the superintendent yeah. guy said he he felt certain scenes in the film were very familiar as they were similar to real police work. Wow, <laughs> um, what goes on in Hong Kong? Yeah. Does he dress up as doctors and show up yeah. in the hospital and be like, "I'm undercover doctor"? Or like you know, but he's really funny. I think he he goes a fine line of being like funny, but also like you know genuinely relatively heroic enough yeah. but he's kind of a punchline throughout most of it but which is weird for a movie like this yeah. but um he's he's pretty funny um our guy philip quack as mad dog a skilled gunfighter and gang enforcer working for johnny wong he literally looks like an action figure that you take out of the yeah. box and he's like but it feels know. like he could have easily mm-hmm. been a background um like henchman in like a lethal weapon or a diehard movie but he's like he just looks really cool he's like and he's weird he is a villain a bad guy 
But by the end, you do see that he does have his own set of ethics of like, this is too far. Like, why are we going to kill all these innocent it's like, people? That's, this is not. too far. I'm not yeah. doing that. So he does have his own code of ethics, even though he's definitely like a psychopathic yeah. bad man. No, he's he, crazy. He almost yeah. looks like, um, also like, a, he could have easily been like in an X-Men comic in the early 90s. Yeah. I mean, at various a, points. It looks like he's in a Mortal Kombat yeah. movie or something. Yeah. So he's, yeah, love yeah. him. Yeah, he's great. I mean, he's one of those people we think about great henchmen, and we think about him a lot. Because he doesn't talk a whole lot, but also the fact he's called Mad Dog, I just think it's hilarious. Because <laughs> he's not that mad. He's just Not insane. particularly. Yeah, no, he's just yeah. always well, Maybe people. mad in the crazy sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anthony Wong is Johnny Wong, a scheming triad boss who plans to seize complete control of Hong Kong's gangs using his earnings from his gun smuggling business, most of which are stored in the basement of a hospital. He's basically the Chinese John Larroquette. Is yeah, he's, he's a weird-looking guy. He He's such a, uh, a very indelible, interesting image to just look at. He's, he's yeah, and he has a lot of funny lines, like, towards the end when he's, like, got Leung hostage, and he's like, say you're impotent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. To uh, Chang Fat. Fat, and he's making him slap himself, and he's like, on your knees, Jesus said, or something. Yeah. Just like, it's like really weird stuff. But yeah, he's he's a he's a really good villain. Um, Easy but, to hate. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. I'm gonna have to look. I know he was in a lot of Ringo. That's it. I know he's been in some Ringo Lamb movies. I think that I might have seen. He was in the Infernal Affairs mm-hmm. movies. Um, he was in Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. That's been so long since I saw that. I don't even remember that. Um, wait, what? The Untold Story. Looking at the Dan- I don't know. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, he's been in a lot of obviously other uh, Hong Kong action movies. And uh, wait, there's a movie called No Risk, No Gain, Casino Raiders: The Sequel <laughs> that he's in as Young Sing. So, wow, Casino Raiders Two. I thought we already had Casino Raiders. I thought we Raiders already had the sequel. <laughs> um, I'm very confused. Anyway, um, fight back to school three. Look at that. So we already had, we already fought back. And he was only in the third one. Yeah. Yeah. The only other people I want to mention here is John Woo as bartender. Mr. Woo. Mr. Woo. A former cop who runs the jazz bar where Tequila performs and offers him advice. He's not in it much, but what I love is that he's very like, ah, yes, let me give you some pearls of wisdom. It's just like, okay, and you're casting yourself as that. Okay, so random. Very Shyamalan-esque in that way. Yeah, And it doesn't make a big deal about itself. Oh, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Shyamalan's movies do. But, yeah. Um, Now, I want to talk a little bit about Hong Kong film because you know a little bit more about it than I would, I would say. Yeah. Again, you know, we talked about Briar Summer Day last time. Taiwanese film was not quite on as yeah, much on we, the map. Right. We uh, talked a little bit about cinema. that last time, yeah, as far as Hong Kong. Hong Kong, though, Hong Kong has created a whole variety of types of genres, but it's most explicitly known for its action films mm-hmm. or kung fu uh, or, kung or fu action films. movies. Yeah. Uh, so, now, those Shaw Brothers movies you've seen some of, those were from Hong Kong, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Uh what to you about Hong Kong makes it kind of special or unique within not only international cinema, but particularly with Asian cinemas? Well, obviously with Japan, you have samurai cinema and kaiju cinema, which has its own version. As well as the whole bedrock of dramas that have been around too. And and the Ozu movies, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and anime is its own thing too, but that's kind of, you know, after this away. Well, I think unambiguously movie, Japan um, has the biggest film culture not only within itself within its own borders but also what it's produced and went around the world I think 
Yeah. I mean, internationally. Yeah. But uh, Hong Kong's not that, that far behind in terms of its impact. Yeah, but as far as Hong Kong movies go, I mean, uh, I think the thing about that, too, is you have all these action movies, and, and that's the main thing, is you have the, like I said, the Shaw Brothers movies, which the ones I've seen are good enough as movies, and then they get to the climax, and it's like, wow, you know, yeah. really good uh, kung fu action, but... Uh, but um, as far as the action movies go, I really love those and kind of prefer those. And there's been stuff like the uh, the raid movies, which come from Indonesia. Yeah, there's been a lot of movies that. that well, also influenced by Hong Kong too. Yeah, other, and Korea has yeah. some, uh, and uh, um, and Japan even too. Uh, Battle Royale is even a version of that in its own way, which I know that's been on you know like twenty years ago. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think that those action movies, especially, have influenced uh, Western art or movies, uh, meaning America and Europe, as much as the samurai movies have in a lot of ways too, which is interesting. But I don't feel you know a lot of people criticize Kurosawa in Japan for making movies that were too Western, as in too Americanized. I really do feel like the Hong Kong movies still really maintain themselves as that, as being themselves, yeah. and are more uh, influential than they are influenced by other things, right. I think. Um, A lot of them still do have this classic gunfighter mm -hmm. yeah. uh, divide in scenarios that, Seem like they do at least partially are inspired from American westerns yeah, or even right. what or later was Japanese movies, movies too. Right. You know. Um. Yeah. So, but also Hong Kong cinema has, and we talked about this last week as well, like Wong Kar Wai and uh, a lot of these great dramas, mm -hmm. which his some of his movies still very much fall into the crime genre of stuff like Fallen Angels, which I haven't seen uh, yet, but or even you know aspects of uh, Shunking Express. Um, but the, yeah, it just is a very diverse film culture that is really only, like I said, I think rivaled by Japan or uh, South Korea mm -hmm. um, of being uh, as far as Asian cinema goes. Um, and like with culturally, I feel like it's it lives in a strange shadow with China, mm -hmm. and as does Hong Kong in general. And it's also English influenced, of course, because of Britain yeah. being there for so long. And uh, yeah, but. I mean, I, let me just say. I always liked this movie quite a bit. Uh, seeing it again, it kind of blew me away all over again um, as one of not only the great action movies of its era, but in any era. I mean, it really just blew me away in terms of its vision, its choreography, of course. Um, doesn't have the most dense story in the world, but, yeah, but again, a lot of it, it is enough. quite good. Yeah. And again, a lot of it feasts on... Fat and Leong's presences and their their opposition, but also support of one another, and that's just an interesting wrinkle to add to yeah. all this. Um, again, John Woo was one of the big breakthroughs of Hong Kong cinema, and he of, of course came to America mm -hmm. and made some action movies there, and uh, uh, he still makes movies actively. You don't really hear about it. I think he made one a few uh, years ago, but not as much. Uh, and yeah, of course, you had other like Ringo Lamb and uh, uh, Johnny Toe, 
Um, yeah. Who's a big one. Um, but, yeah, he's kind of the one that I've seen the most of, and I think is the best. And what I'm, I think most Americans agree is kind of the best. I know he co-directed that movie um, that I saw. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, I can't remember the name of it now. It was one of those, because uh, he kind of came out of that Shaw Brothers Studios uh, tradition and co-directed some movies and uh, assistant directed uh the boxer from shang tung i think was the one i was thinking of he was a big shang Che uh fan and worked under shang Che um a lot who made a lot of those movies like five deadly venoms five shaolin masters uh five elements he made a lot of like number movies it looks yeah. like so, oh yeah of course one of my favorite titles the legend of the seven golden vampires um but <laughs> uh which is technically kind of a uh hammer adjacent movie really i think because it had like christopher lee and peter cushing in it i think mm -hmm. uh or no it just had peter cushing it didn't have uh christopher lee but uh yeah that's like basically a chinese <laughs> vampire movie which is okay. weird um but yeah so there there were a lot but yeah woo i think was so successful mainly just because of the action of his movies yeah was just so different I mean, anything gets shot, it explodes. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. It's just, which is obviously, you know, ridiculous. Yeah. But I mean, that's the so thing. When I, watch, some but. of the inconsistencies in quotes of like the logic of the movie to me are explained by it having its own logic in terms of just we're not really living in a quote realistic world. Yeah. Which again, there's usually a suspension of disbelief with action movies, anyways. Um, but particularly with this one, where everything's so operatic, everything's so extreme, where there's so the gun, a gun itself is almost just like a fist balled up. It's right. like, oh, it's just like, any, like, oh, I'm just going to point a gun at your face, and it's like, not that big a deal really right now, but I'm just going to yeah. keep it here just because that's that's the And also, there's no way to un... This. It, it, they rarely reload. It's just yeah. a constant barrage. It yeah. doesn't matter what, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, especially whenever Chow Yun-Fat is shooting a gun. It's yeah. like there's a like one of the most unrealistic moments is the movie is him loading that shotgun before the raid's gonna happen. It's like no, because movies these don't need to be reloaded. What are you yeah. talking about? Like you know, um, or when yeah that happens to Mad Dog before his death, he like runs out and he's like mad and throws the gun down and yeah. he's like what like basically <laughs> and then gets you know blasted away. But um, yeah, I mean, and it's not one of those movies that has one really good action sequence. It's like has multiple throughout. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty consistent because it has the main ones. Obviously, are the tea house at the beginning of the movie, which is a great opening. Um, the warehouse, the warehouse, which is a big one, and kind then, of in the middle, -ish. right? And then there's the stuff at the boat, uh, which is kind of a brief sequence, yeah. but and then the big stuff is the ending with the hospital, which is just yeah. an all out barrage mm -hmm. um and it really is i think a testament to how great the movie is that you can, that you have that much action in yeah. one movie is pretty crazy for it to be that much and it uh, you know it's, it's not necessarily an american made action right. movie that it's like it's not like terminator 2 in terms of like the budget yeah it would obviously have and still it does so much with what relatively small amount it has you know what i mean right. i mean i know within the hong kong world this would have been like the the A plus mm plus -hmm. budgeted movie, you know, yeah. but I mean, objectively speaking, not the biggest budget in the world, and yet Wu 
But strangely, like I said, this movie did not make quite as much money as some of his other movies in Hong Kong, which I think is insane. It's like, I don't, what were y'all doing? This seems like, like, especially considering where he was going to go the next few years to America and and beyond. And the stars, too. The the movie that would have been the big, huge hit, which is strange. I think it it was bigger in America, it seemed like, maybe than here. I don't know. Um, But... I guess because we're just a bunch of sickos over here. We're like, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, we're it's like that balance. meme. It's like that meme of sickos yeah. looking through. Ha, ha, yes. Like, yeah. Um, and speaking of, how does this compare to you to other 90s action movies in America and beyond? Because I think of, you know, there are action, great action movies in any era. I feel like the 90s, maybe it's partly nostalgia, but had a lot of really great high-quality mm-hmm. ones, and that was coming out of an 80s that had produced something like Die Hard in the very late 80s. But... um I mean, I think this stands toe-to-toe with most of the anything that was being made in America, I mean, being as great as it is. I mean, Terminator 2, of course, I think is the pinnacle. Yeah, but... I was going to say, I think Terminator 2 just slightly has it beat only because there is so much action in Hard Boiled that I wouldn't say that the mind begins to shut down exactly, but it's so much that you're just kind of like... I wouldn't even say you're bored because I'm never bored, but... Terminator 2 also just has a great story and is about, about a lot big of things. Ideas, yeah. But it, I think it has more variety of its action sequences too because yeah. like there are different... Oh, you remember this scene and that yeah. scene. It's like in this, what you think hell? more about... Yeah. <laughs> you think... It's like Howard Dean. Yeah. <laughs> you think more about specific moments than you do entire scenes yeah. because there's just so much going on. Like I think about... Like you could name things in this movie like... Uh, the part where the part in the warehouse where uh, a, a motorcycle is going through the air and he shoots it with a shotgun and it bursts into flames, like stuff like that, or like one of my favorite kind of moments in the movie. It's like incredibly violent and weird and morbid, but there's the part where Chow Yun Fat's holding the baby and he's like singing it a lullaby, and there's all these yeah. people that are coming in. And he's like singing, and then he'll point the gun and just blast somebody, and blood's everywhere, and yeah. it's just like so. And then there's this oh, the little lullaby music comes back, and it's like, yeah, yeah. and like you know stuff like that. That's just very strange. I think is more memorable in moments and bits and pieces than it is for whole scenes. But I think the construction of Cameron's uh, action is overall better in, as like a whole cinematic experience sure. i think yeah but um just but, looking yeah. at list some some other 90s action movies another one that comes to mind too that is up way up there is speed yeah you know as far as um and i saw that, that some of the rodriguez movies of desperado once upon a time in mexico and uh, some of those yeah you know. and then obviously the first mission impossible movie right obviously come out there and the return of the james bond movies also yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, with those, yeah, Goldeneye is one of the best action movies of that decade too. I think uh, Total Recall. That's funny. Men in Black. Men in know? Black is yeah. you know that I think is really great. That also I think more so almost as a sci-fi comedy more than even as yeah. a, explicitly as an action movie. Um, I do think the Matrix. Too, the Matrix yeah. is probably to me the second best of the decade uh-huh. after Terminator Two. Yeah. I'd say this is probably like three or four somewhere uh-huh. in there. Um, and that was another movie that, by the late 90s, I feel like Hong Kong action films, even in a slightly mainstream way, had been a little bit more seen. Because that obviously wears its influences on its sleeve as yeah. well, as far as being you know inspired by Hong Kong, as well as anime, comic books, and the yeah. whole host of 
video games uh, video all kinds of things yeah um and to that point uh what are some signature scenes or moments from this movie you pointed out some earlier but yeah. some that you really stick with you i think again that whole sequence of i think about a lot is with the whole oh i'm gonna sing this baby a lullaby while i'm gunning all these yeah, people and down that part, and you're kind of like, like laughing and you're yeah. like this is dangerous yeah. though like but, and he's, but he's got oh he does have ear protection yeah, and there it, for the but child there's the part he's like don't look x-rated action or whatever yeah. he's like got the gun over his face basically <laughs> there's that part though in the middle of that where there's a guy that gets uh he's like trying to come through a door and he smashes it and the guy's face smashes through it oh, right. and then he like blasts him through the door and you see like this weird like side shot of the bullet going through the body and it's just like this is just so violent this is like this is too much and that's what i think pointing to it in the movie almost is like yeah this is bad like, <laughs> you know, this is like that there's a baby here i do think a lot though also about um uh oh i just it just left me oh well of course there's the kind of the best i think kind of little sequence in the movie is that kind of long take, it's kind of the part a lot of people talk about where there's they are going down some hallways and then they go up an elevator and they're just shooting everybody. And it's just a big kind of probably about three minute take. Uh, but that literally, what I, I don't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, but that literally in that there's some moments of slow motion that are literally only used for the audience to calm down yeah, and get right. a breath because it's yeah. literally so much shooting going on yeah um but that yeah i mean um uh, and then i, I mentioned there's just some different dialogue things that are really funny like i said i think chow yun fat's just hilarious so yeah. pretty much anytime he's on screen he's what i'm looking at um mm -hmm. uh just the whole idea that there is a massive armory below a hospital yeah, it's right. like what like how is that even possible i don't, I don't know there are um, um elements and moments in this movie while police are ostensibly involved in the action like with chow young fat yeah. um or tony young in a undercover capacity yeah. it does feel like sometimes it's like a running right in the city with no supervision right. or anybody stepping yeah. in almost like a batman movie of this yeah. era too is some of these super it's movies very where, like vigilante yeah. but he is a cop but like it feels but he's going against their orders too and doing right. stuff so and that they're only there to pick up the mess whatever's yeah. left there's that know. part where He's, he's arguing with the inspector, and he's like, you don't act like this. Here's the John. Okay. Like, he literally <laughs> says, okay. But he's like, there's the John, he says in Cantonese or whatever. But, like, uh... Oh, his detective mode, by the way, too, when he's in the library. Oh, yeah, and he's and, like, and, okay, that is so dumb. That whole scene, yeah. actually, is pretty stupid, where, like, <laughs> it's this whole little, like, montage sequence of, like... Tony Leung driving in a sports car and walking in with sunglasses. He goes to a library. Yeah. And then when he takes the sunglasses off, the music just stops. And it's like... Uh, yeah. But he sits down and is talking to this guy and he has a book and he opens the book and there's a gun in it with a silencer and he shoots him and then he puts it back Tony in. Tony Leung's character. Right. Yeah. Shoots him and he puts it back in and he walks it back and puts it on the shelf. But yeah, and then like... He comes in and he's eating like a fillet of fish sandwich yeah, like, from McDonald's. <laughs> like, uh, Chow Yun Fat, and he's looking and he takes another book and he's like, "Hmm, a book was here." Yeah, and then he's like walking. But then there's these looking. flashes right, of, like, of like, like his intuition him telling doing him it earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's like 
what? Clearly yeah. detective mode. I think one of the great moments in the movie, though, too, I meant to mention was that part at the beginning where he's like making the tequila drink and it fizzes and he slams it down on the bar and then it says hard boiled. Mm, it's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, like basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, the whole movie is a walking, like, uh, just. Uh, just awesomeness. Yeah. Uh, it's just everything about it. Is, uh, it's what some people call awesome sauce, yeah. like, as I was saying. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's one of those movies there's not a whole lot to say about other because we could just sit here and just talk about this moment, that moment. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. again, it's one of those that if you're into action sim at all, you probably already are vaguely aware of it, or at least Chow yeah. Yun-Fat or John Woo's names. Yeah. Um, but immediately just grabs you by the throat and stays there the whole time. And yeah. J- again, yeah, because even some of the and again, more, it's one of the movies that I've always liked quite a bit. But seeing it this time, I was like, man, this is this is really great. This is mm-hmm. even greater than I remember it to be. So. Yeah, I know there was a video game adaptation called Stranglehold in the late two thousands mm-hmm. that I always wanted to play but never have. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a video game would be great, but yeah, I've never played it. I know that there's you know, and also I was gonna say, you ever notice in any video game? If it's like an action game, it's like it's in Hong Kong or it's in Shanghai or it's it's because of you know obviously movies like this where it's like yeah. that's where all the action is literally. It's like X-rated uh, action, yeah. X-rated action, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, also one of the other great moments is when uh, he's got the baby and him and Tony Leung are talking. They're arguing. He's like, "You need to go" or whatever, and all this fire comes up in between them or something. And Tony Young just looks at him and nods and's like basically goodbye. And he's gonna go do. I think he's gonna go try to get the bad guy. <laughs> and he's running away and he just yells, "Moo ya!" Yeah. Which means bull s yeah. in Cantonese. But yeah. he's like, "Moo ya!" Like, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a great moment. But yeah. Oh, and then also another another funny moment is when yeah he's gonna like uh uh and Fat's gonna jump out the window. And he, his uh, leg catches on fire, and he's trying to jump, and the baby literally pees himself, yeah, and pees on the fire and puts it out. Yeah. And he's like, "You little piss pot," or yeah. whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so no, that, I mean, it's literally one of the most entertaining movies I've ever yeah. seen, just all, all the way around. So, so that's hard boiled. We watched a Blu-ray version of it. I guess it was, in, you know, I don't know what label put it yeah, out. Yeah, you know, Dragon Dynasty is the name of it, which I think puts out a lot of, first of all, John Woo movies, and then also just other, I think, action movies. Mm-hmm. You know a random thing we talked about? If you watch this Blu-ray, at the very bottom left, there's this random gray line that goes across the screen. Yeah, yeah. Just at the bottom left, it doesn't go, it's like an inch, it ain't that yeah. much. But it just sits there, and it looks like it's supposed to be like a menu that pops up yeah, or right. something, mm-hmm. but nothing ever happens, and it's and just I, like, like, why is this? I fixated like, on early on yeah. and kind of had forgotten about it, but then... I was like, hey, you know, check in on the gray line over there. <laughs> and like, it was still there, yeah. Yeah, but like we said, I don't know why they haven't, which I know this originally was a Criterion Collection DVD years ago. Uh, I don't know if they're ever going to redo that. Probably not. But it'd be nice if they do a 4K yeah. at some point. Uh, yeah, I could see that because it looks happening. good, but you can tell it could use a good restoration. Mm-hmm. I think too. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. So that's Hard Boiled from 1992. Another movie from 1992. Speaking of X-rated action, definitely not, not quite X-rated. Somehow, in like some ways, be. a more violent movie in certain yeah. parts yeah. than this. Yeah. Definitely more emotionally violent. That's for sure. <laughs> Is the trailer for Basic Instinct. <laughs> 
get 31 stab wounds. What was it? Ice pick. I'd like to speak to a Miss Catherine Tremell, please. Is she a suspect? She's a suspect. I wanted to write a book about the murder of a retired rock and roll star. You know how she does the boyfriend? With an ice pick. She intended the book to be her alibi. I picked him up, and I had sex with him. You didn't feel anything for him, you just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning. Then I got to like what he did for me. You like playing games, don't you? It's nice. You've got no physical evidence. She's lying. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. Stay away from her! You are out of control, Curran. You won't learn anything I don't want you to know. She knew I'd say she did it, and she knew that nobody would buy it. She is screwing with your head, Nick! knows things about me that I only told you. How does it feel to kill someone? You tell me. I think you got too close to the flame. Nikki <laughs> liked it. You're in over your head. She seduces people. <laughs> it was internal affairs, wasn't it? She manipulates people. Freeze! How much did she pay you? You want to play her? Come on! She knows where I live and breathe. Games are over, Nick. Not playing games. Don't you? So we've been quoting that <laughs> yeah. nonstop. And it was actually in the trailer, so you just heard right. Michael Douglas say that. Basic Instinct. I'll give us a little bit of uh give you a little bit of a download on that. Download. Whatever. Uh <laughs> from nineteen ninety two. Carbo load. Uh Neo Noir erotic thriller, directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by Joe Esterhouse. The film follows San Francisco police detective Nick Curran. Curran? Curran. Curran played by Michael Douglas, as he investigates the brutal murder of a wealthy rock star. During the course a rock star is, is dead. dead. Yeah. During, the inve- uh, during the course of the investigation, uh, becomes entangled in a passionate and intense relationship with Catherine Tremell, played by Sharon Stone, an enigmatic writer and the prime suspect. Just a little further down, um, it says uh, initially it was mixed reviews when it came out. Uh, performances, original score, editing were praised, while its writing and character development were criticized. It was very controversial for a whole host of reasons. Um, It says here, due to sexually explicit content, specifically the whole scene where Sharon Stone's crosses or uncrosses her legs. That was one of the big, one of the big 90s movie moments. So I think that's important we recognize that. Violence and depiction of homosexual relationships. Um, this is what's most shocking, I think, about the whole experience. Despite the public protest, Basic Instinct was a commercial success, grossing $352 million worldwide and becoming the fourth highest-grossing film of 1992. Yeah, Can because, you imagine a movie like this being made today, even, that was the yeah. fourth highest-grossing well, movie? I know it had a really kind of random spate of sequels that... Basic Instinct 2, yeah, came out in 2006. But, uh, Sharon Stone was in it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, Michael Douglas wasn't. Uh, so there was only one? I thought there were more than one. There was at least one. 
It's like you ever notice how many howling sequels there are? There's yeah. like five of them or something. Let me just anyway. add this real quick. Since its yeah. release, the film has undergone a critical reevaluation and has become recognized for its groundbreaking depiction of sexuality. Mainstream Hollywood cinema, described by one scholar as quote a neo film noir masterpiece that plays with and trans- transgresses the narrative rules of film noir. Uh, and again, just to talk about what, uh, let's just talk about what the top yeah. 10 highest grossing movies of, say, 1992 were. Let's start from 10 going up to 1. Wayne's World, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Sister Act, A Few Good Men, Batman Returns was actually sixth highest grossing movie of 1992. That's quite shocking. I what it was for 1989. Was it number one? or? Oh, it was number one by a wide margin. Okay, yeah. I couldn't remember. I wasn't sure. But so the sequel to that was number six. That's just crazy. Yeah. Lethal Weapon 3, mm-hmm. Basic Instinct. So Basic Instinct made more money than Batman Returns. That's crazy. Home Alone Especially 2, that Lost in New York. summer release, too, Batman yeah. Returns. That's interesting. Home Alone uh, 2, Lost in New York, number three. Home Alone 1 well, was a also huge that was movie. released at Christmas, so that yeah. always makes money. Yeah. Uh, the Bodyguard, uh, number two, and then Aladdin, number one. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just very much shocked that Basic Instinct was that successful. Yeah, that's something else. I didn't know it made that much money. I, I knew it did, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you think about the erotic thrillers, this is kind of the main one that people talk about. Um, but. Where do you want to start here? You want to talk about well, let's go the through the plot or let's talk about the casting. Crew oh, real okay, quick. right. So um, yeah. this is directed by Paul Verhoeven, mm-hmm. who you know was one of the big directors of the eighties and nineties. RoboCop. Uh, RoboCop was, was one of his bigger ones. Yeah. Uh, Total Recall mm-hmm. came out in ninety. Starship Troopers that was a little yeah. later. Showgirls later on. Uh, oh man, that's kind of a movie people talk about. When you when you think when Paul Verhoeven's name first comes up, what's some of the first things you think of? Well, Not even in terms of movies, but in terms of style. Oh, just in terms uh, of his what he represents for film. Uh, I mean, he's very much uh, like a Hitchcock esque figure. Uh, I mean, I usually think of movies. He and Joel Schumacher, I kind of think of in similar. They mo- they both made uh, movies that were him more so than Schumacher, yeah. but like the sexuality of them yeah. were more in focus and more in front and center. Yeah, you know, right. And so I usually think of the sex and the violence of his movies are like extreme. I mean, there's some stuff in RoboCop that's some of the most violent stuff I've ever seen. I mean, it's just like wow. Uh, but um, and then of course he made movies before that in the Netherlands, uh, which I haven't seen. Um, but, yeah, normally I think of a certain... Uh, most of his things, too, have a uh, satirical bent to them. Yeah. Uh, more I mean, ex- most explicitly, I think, with yeah. RoboCop or Starship Troopers, but yeah. and Total Recall, too. But, I mean, in this movie, this movie has a lot of different genres it's working in. It is a lot satire in a certain sense. Um, I do also, maybe the next place to go with this, I do think this movie is very explicitly a neo-noir movie. Mm. And having just finished The Black Dahlia by James Elroy recently, which I love the book of, um, I've not seen the movie. Um, I've been thinking a lot about noir yeah, and neo-noir time, yeah. like recently. Um, and I think one big thing about neo-noir, which was huge in the 80s and the 90s, and is still in a roundabout way being done today, I mean, in its own way, Hypnotic was a neo-noir. Yeah. Um, is it finally makes explicit a sexuality than original noir films of the 40s and 50s was more uh, below the surface. Obviously, it was the era of the production code, so you can only get away with so Stuff much. Stuff like Gilda you're talking about. or uh, Gilda, or even The Postman Always Rings Twice. Yeah. 
um, Vertigo. Mm-hmm. I mean, is the pinnacle. But um, uh, but again, the like yeah. the sexuality of those movies was there, but eh, you don't quite right. totally see it. It's kind of hidden in shadow, literally and mm-hmm. figuratively. These movies, and again, not every erotic thriller was exactly a neo-noir. A lot of them do. I mean, a lot of the things that say uh, somebody like Brian De Palma was making, you know, was in the 80s, could, you know, yeah, body especially. double or um, dress to kill, dress to kill yeah. would fit into that. Um, and so that, you know, I know your taste on noir is mm. sometimes you like, sometimes you don't, I know, but I, that is one thing I do find admirable about the erotic thriller as it relates to neo-noir is that it was an attempt to make more explicit sometimes the sexual tension of those Body movies. Body Heat was another yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of uh, Basic Instinct as fitting within either of those spaces in terms of a neo-noir or erotic thriller and what it represents well, I for think, either one of those? I think one of the better erotic thrillers like actually is Fatal Attraction, I think is pretty good. Which also um, stars Michael Douglas, right, who in many ways close, was one of the yeah. key figures in a lot of well, these they've movies. just made a remake show of that. On Paramount you, Plus, yeah. It's yeah. been a whole thing, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. There are actual sequences, though, in Fatal Attraction, I think are really great sequence. Like, oh, this is a really good thriller yeah. sequence. There's, <laughs> I love a lot of things about Basic Instinct, but I'm rarely wowed by its thriller aspects yeah um i think it's very predictable in a lot of ways um but also we'll talk about the goofy plot of this movie is insane we'll talk about that later but the um yeah i think that as a neo-noir yeah i i think that's interesting i don't normally think of it as that even though it definitely is um But yeah, I think as that, like you said, actualizing that sexuality very and violence very explicitly. I haven't seen another movie do it this directly. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, and I'm just thinking like, I'm, and I know people say this stuff. They literally don't make movies like this anymore. People talk all the time about the sex scene uh, discourse and all that. They really don't make movies that have sex scenes anymore. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't really have an opinion on that exactly. But the 90s, I think, with the explosion of, first of all, premium cable television. Also, uh, independent films. Independent films, just pornography in general. um, And just a willingness to make movies like that, um, I think. Because in the 80s, I think it was a lot more about... It's weird. I think it was movies that had sex and violence... But rarely did they connect in a way this explicit. Well, um, I think it's, there was even a tendency in the 80s to moralize a little more sometimes. When you think about even the Cronenberg movies of the 80s, like that, there was like a... While they were sexually transgressive, there was still this slightly judgmental quality about them. With this, I feel like the whole movie's pretty... Um, Amoral in terms of yeah, it's very Brett Easton yeah. Ellis in that way, as far as just being very uh, detached and not really attaching a lot of morality to the events. It's more about just like these are the things that happen. Really, which, if it feels good, do it. Basically, is the right, you know, yeah. the which is not anything I agree with, but it's an interesting. Uh, I mean, I do think you, you, you know, can you can point way. alone to the success of Boogie Nights mm. and say that was an era where pornography or sexuality was seen like in a more uh, 
most liberating lenses exactly even how more I than say it, it was in like, the 60s and 70s I but think, like yeah. that you know a celebration almost of a world like the porn world which mm-hmm. is what boogie nights in its own way mm-hmm. was you know right um and again we said his name earlier we'll go through the cast here uh michael douglas as detective nick again say his Curran. last name Curran. yeah all right, Levi, give us uh, your take okay. on Michael Douglas. I love Michael Douglas. He's one of my I favorite agree. actors. Genuinely and not genuinely. Yeah. I think he is both good and awful. Like, what's like, some of your favorite Michael Douglas uh, movies or performances? This, I think, is my favorite performance from him. My favorite of his movies is probably The Game. What I like about that, though, is it's this character buried down even further into this whole veneer of a respectability Wall Street banker type who's like very like emotionless and kind of doesn't care about anybody or anything yeah. but actually does but yeah. kind of buries that beneath all you know all this grief he has but has these explosive moments of freaking out but this movie's just full ham all the time yeah. I love it I, I mean genuinely and like oh my god this is like bad mm-hmm. kind of you know um but I think that uh I remember when I... I'll go ahead and tell the story when I first saw this movie. I saw this movie the day I graduated from high school. <laughs> Literally, I went... Okay, so I went that morning to do graduation... Uh, practice. Practice. Went home. Came back uh, that evening. In in the middle of that, I watched Basic Instinct. <laughs> I'm literally sitting there during the uh, graduation, which is its own whole life event just thinking about this movie literally the whole time just like what the hell did i just see just yeah. the violence the uh and especially him mm-hmm. just the acting i think i once described this movie i'll read it uh as my review of it on letterboxd i said um uh yeah i said basic instinct continues to baffle even 27 years later it's boilerplate plot that seems right on track goes off the rails Flip six or seven times, then spontaneously combust with enough power to be seen and heard for miles or decades. Like that proverbial train wreck, I couldn't look away, especially not from Douglas and Stone, who shine as the perfectly pitched, trashy highlight in an already crass and ugly erotic thriller whose controversies continue to reverberate. In other words, I still love it, y'all. But, um, but yeah, he is just total ham the whole time. She is very much her persona... I feel like it's a more cool, calm, cool, and collected version of what she would do in Casino. That's a very kind of uh, desperate version of her persona. In this, though, she's in control of every situation. Um, He is not. He's totally out of control. And he's he's weirdly, maybe not at first, but as the narrative goes on, almost becoming more and more at ease with that. Yeah, and like and and he's kind of yeah, loving, kind of going. He doesn't really care about the fact that he is smoking again. He is drinking again. He doesn't ever do cocaine in the movie. I don't think exactly. And it talks about maybe he used to. He used to, but I'm yeah, saying yeah, in yeah, the yeah. movie he doesn't. I don't think, which is the one thing he never goes full into. But uh, it seems like he always is on cocaine, though. Yeah. Like you know, um, it's kind of like what we said about Al Pacino and Heat. How it had been written originally that he was on cocaine. But then wasn't they took that out of the movie? But then he still but, acted right, and he's but, admitted that as much yeah. since, yeah. But the, yeah, I mean, 
people talk a lot about like Al Pacino in Scarface or Heat as like this totally over the top. I think Michael Douglas is that way in a lot of things, but especially this is just. And it's interesting to see him as a weird sex symbol of the time because he's a handsome guy. Yeah, but. He's, he's always not, he's always moody, temperamental, right. out of control. Like it is and very like, strange. How, that, why would a woman be interested in someone like that? I don't know. It, yeah. It's yeah, that's an interesting. Uh, I've only more thing. recently seen Romance in the Stone and liked that movie fine enough. Although it did feel like a Raiders of the Lost Ark also ran from the eighties. Well, the other Indiana uh, Jones movies do too. So it's all right. uh, Wall Street obviously is the thing yeah. that probably a lot of people associate him with, and. I've recently rewatched that, and the movie itself remains whatever. But he's pretty good in it, uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he won an Academy Award for that. Uh, and we also are weirdly fans of Wall Street. Money never sleeps. The sequel. I actually kind of like. I actually definitively like that better than the first one. So War of the Roses is a movie. It's been a little while since I've seen, but he's also unhinged in that, and he randomly is really good with Kathleen Turner. There's a whole period where they were in. She was also in the Romance in the Stone yeah. movie. I've not seen Jewel of the Nile, which they were also both in. Uh, but Dane DeVito, who is a really great dark comic director anyways, yeah. uh, does a really good job with War of the Roses. Um, Falling Down is a movie that neither one of us have still You still no, might have seen that. Not all yet? of it. I've and seen no. parts of it, yeah. Not seen that. It's that movie where he freaks out because he can't get a breakfast. It's like yeah. it's too late for breakfast at a restaurant, which that's not even really a thing now. I mean, yeah. You can go anywhere and get breakfast, but the yeah. game again. I also quite love. That's one of my favorites from him. Yeah. Traffic. We didn't we didn't really mention yeah. that in, in this podcast. That's but, a really um, good performance, I think, too. Of just there's that one scene. He's he's a little more low key in that. Yeah, but there's that one scene where he's like driving uh, his wife's driving him home, and she's like, oh, all you ever do when your home's drink. He's like. I have one drink to take the edge off. Yeah. Like, it sounds almost like Nicholson, yeah. but he's like, uh, otherwise I die of boredom. <laughs> you know? uh, I actually do think, I want to talk about the game a little bit, because the game is one of my favorite movies in general. I think he's really good in that, of like being genuinely good, and also very, like I said, very de- he starts as this very like, manicured and calm and very like specific and very angry his brother is Sean Penn right so weirdly wish we had a movie that we had more of them in scenes together right but that over the time of the movie he's consistent he's just constantly spiraling out of control yeah and just becomes more and more dead and you realize that's who that person really is yeah um Oh, but one thing I'll say, one of my favorite scenes in traffic is where he's going to look for his daughter who's staying with that drug dealer and he goes knocking on the door, and he's like, have you seen my daughter? Or whatever. And he's like, give, give me just a second. And then he's like, who the F do you think you are coming around here? And he's like pushing him around. And he's like, please, just tell me. Like, like, yeah. and it's just like, oh. oh, and then there's that part where he's driving down the street before that, and he's like looking out the window, and there's this like, uh, black guy out in the street that's like, hey, what are you doing, man? And he like looks away, and then the camera zooms on his eyes, yeah. and he's got sunglasses yeah. on. And it's just funny. But yeah, that's an interesting movie as far as his whole performance in that is very particular of being like... It's almost like, why is Michael Douglas in this movie? It just feels mm-hmm. kind of random, but I, I mean, that movie's great, and I love it, but it's just... 
And I've always heard I, I really love the book Wonder Boys. Yeah. I've heard he's really good in it, and the movie's good. Mm-hmm. I've not seen it yet. Sadly, here more recently, he's just been in a lot of these Marvel movies, and that's kind of all he Ant does Man. now. Yeah. But then again, I mean, I don't know. He's done enough things to forgive himself, I guess. So we're big fans of Michael Douglas yeah. here. Uh, Sharon Stone as Catherine Tremell, and she's essentially the villain of the mm-hmm. movie. Um, let me just... There's a lot to say about yeah. her in this movie. Obviously, again, her sexuality is a big part of the movie in terms of the whole moment of, again, her, her crossing her legs. That was a big moment in the 90s mm-hmm. that uh, I've heard a lot people of talk. Buttons, I say. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, that was a big movies. Um, Can't imagine pausing something to look at on a I do VHS think now. But this yeah. is her best performance. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that she does a really great job with a character that is not always the most in-depth on the page. I feel like sometimes it's so much of a cipher that another actress could have taken this and not done nearly as much with it as she does, but yeah. this perfectly is fit and tailored to her. Um, let me just ask this about the character and then maybe give your thoughts about Sharon Stone or this her performance in this in general. Is there ever really any doubt in your mind watching this, either for the first time or even on a repeat viewing if you haven't seen it in a while, that she is the killer the whole time. Is there ever any serious doubt about that to you? There was not to no. me. And I want, and that's not a problem no, even necessarily. No. But I'm just no. I mean, you you see her name at the beginning of the movie. You see the woman at the beginning of the movie. Who, by the way, I'm still not certain exactly who that was, even though it was her more than likely but it's a, I really don't know yeah. that, but we were talking about that how the movie wraps itself up by the end and it was actually this person who did it all but then it's like that and final, the final moment is yeah. like wait what like well even know, before that I was like well she just framed that whole other yeah, woman and right. then made her go down and that's what it was yeah. you know and but what I do think is interesting no matter what is that with the movie it feels like no matter who did what, all of these people are psychopaths, basically. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, who can... It's just psychopathic Except Gus, Who can yeah. be the worst. Yeah. But... <laughs> oh man! <laughs> um, But yeah, uh, like, literally everybody is a psychopath in this. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, there's no doubt... Again, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. No. I'm just saying but, that... But the movie tries to mo- play with that, though. Yeah. And it's like... But I am actually like, yeah, I literally don't know by the end. But I... But it says it's her. But then I'm like, so then what was the whole climax? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah. I just it's, assume that she set her up the whole way. Right. You know. What do you think of this character in Sharon Stone in general? Like in this. I like Sharon Stone. She's somebody I used to really not like based on her casino performance. I'm just like this character is so annoying. I can't stand her. Yeah. But I kind of used to feel that way about Faye Dunaway too. Seeing Network. Don't and ask Betty Clyde. Davis about Faye. Yeah. Dunaway, well, we though. were laughing about that earlier. Yeah. Totally unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I'm still not the craziest fan of both of those actresses, especially with some other, you know, actresses of their eras mm-hmm. that I think are better than them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think she's good. Uh, I think this is just an iconic yeah. performance that is really, it, you can't look away. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, so I, I don't know if she got nominated for an Academy Award for this. I, I think she would have yeah. deserved a nomination at least. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She is probably the best thing about the movie, objectively, I think, that... Uh, she did not, actually. I'm looking here. The film was nominated for Best Film Editing and Best Original Score. But. The score. That's funny. Um, but, yeah, I think she is really good. Uh, Even though I'm not, I'm still not, like, crazy about her mm-hmm. in general, but she is good. Uh, in this, especially. 
Yeah. Uh, well, Michael Douglas was nominated for Worst Actor by Golden Raspberry Awards. So Okay. Just know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Uh, but it, he was nominated for an MTV Movie Award for Best Male Performance. It's hard to believe the MTV generation getting excited for a movie like for this. Best but, Kiss or anything. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Best Movie, Best Male Performance, one Best Female Performance for Sharon Stone, one Most Desirable Female also. That was a category. Mm. Uh, best Villain also. She won most desirable female one. I say in quotes most desirable female and best female performance. Uh, best on screen duo didn't win. That was the nineteen ninety three MTV Movie Awards. Let's just look at that real quick and see what oh, all was Lord. nominated. All right, best movie. A few good men won. Okay. Over Aladdin, Basic Instinct, The Bodyguard, and Malcolm X. I'm shocked Malcolm X was even on that list. Okay. Uh, best male performance. Uh, Denzel Washington won for Malcolm X. Uh, some other nominees, Kevin Costner for The Bodyguard, Tom Cruise, A Few Good Men. You know what? From here on out, I think we need to look at every year of the MTV Movie Awards as we oh, go through whatever. every year. Yeah, we might as well. Yeah. Um, Michael Douglas, Basic Instinct, was nominated as well as Jack Nicholson for A Few Good Men. <laughs> this uh, is ridiculous. When he didn't win, I guess. There was a most desirable male, so we'll give them credit with that at least. Christian Slater for Untamed Heart won. Um, I didn't know there was ever a time where Christian Slater was all that desirable, but okay. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner for The Bodyguard, Tom Cruise, A Few Good Men, Mel Gibson, Luke the Weapon 3, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Nowhere to Run. You want to hear me try to do my impression of Christian Slater in True Romance? I've never done it before, yeah, but are you ready? I think that you ought to give me this money and let me do what I want. I don't, I don't know. That ain't that great. <laughs> uh, yeah, Christian Slater, he's a good actor, but most desirable man. That's funny. That's, right. that's a joke. That's right an interesting there. category. Breakthrough performance. Marissa Tomei won for my cousin. My cousin. She won an Oscar yeah. for that, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Best supporting actor. It's a grit. Um, Halle Berry for Boomerang. Whitney Houston, The Bodyguard. Kathy Najimi for Sister Act. And Rosie O'Donnell, League of Their Own. One thing I just want to say about that it's actually interesting that most of those people ended up turning out to be names. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because sometimes yeah. with breakthrough performances, sometimes they just don't have. Bigger right. careers after yeah. that, but it's like getting a rookie card. It's yeah. like you never know, you know. Uh, best villain that year, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee won for single white female, which I've always heard is good, but I've uh, who directed that? Not seen. Uh, Barbara Schroeder. Oh yeah, Barbara Schroeder. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dane DeVito, Batman Returns was nominated. Mm-hmm. Ray Liotta, Unlawful Entry. It's amazing the movies that just you don't really know about all yeah. that much. I've seen that. that poster before, but I've never seen the movie. Jack Nicholson, A Few Good Men, that should have won. Yeah. Uh, Sharon Stone, or well, or Sharon Stone for Basic Instinct. I think, yeah. Them. This is ridiculous. Imagine them going after each other. Oh, my God. That like, needs to be the spinoff. Like, yeah. They both end up in prison, men it's and like, women's prison. And it's and like, then, whatever you're doing, stop it. Right? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> Maybe he takes her to a Lakers Freddy, game or something. whatever you're doing, stop it. <laughs> I hope you die. I hope you effing die um anyways let's go through the rest of the cast pretty yeah. quickly on this uh again the biggest one i want to talk about is george Dezun Dezun. i'm just gonna say george Dezunta. yeah as detective gus basically Morgan. if there was ever a live action grimace he would have played him like more or less <laughs> is what i think of he's him. like one of the more likable yeah and again he you know he talks like a sailor here and there but yeah. overall he's a good guy you can tell now, he's not really he, as corrupt that, as... George Dezunza he's always been good in pretty much everything I've seen him in I remember he was in uh, 
the deer hunter is kind of one of the oh, bigger things yeah, I always think that. of. He was also in the uh, TV version of Salem's Lot. He played that guy whose wife was cheating on him. You remember that oh, whole character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was also in Crimson Tide. Um, he voiced Perry White in Brainiac, uh, Superman Brainiac Attacks. So there you hmm. go. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing that. He was in... Uh, he was... Oh. Perry, yeah, Perry White also in uh, Batman Superman movie. World's Finest. Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero is Dr. Gregory Belson. I remember that voice action that I'm thinking about. So, it. yeah, he worked in a lot of... But, yeah, he's, he's really funny. Uh, he has my favorite line reading in the movie of, Oh, man! Like, <laughs> and he just, like, throws like his hands up, up, like, oh, I give up. Yeah, I can't, like, I can't yeah. handle it, you know. But, yeah, he's randomly, they call him Cowboy all the time because he goes to these, like, cowboy bars, these, like, honky-tonks. Yeah, and there is that one shot of Michael Douglas wearing a cowboy hat. He takes hat, the hat which, from him and puts yeah, it on. That, yeah. And that's just one of those things, like, and he's eating like a bowl of chili with like mm-hmm. uh, Tabasco he's putting in it. There's certain like, stars that you just can't imagine being in westerns or in wearing yeah. a cowboy hat. Like I can't imagine like Cary Grant being in a western exactly. You know what I mean? Michael Douglas in that moment, while it's kind of funny to see, you're like, oh yeah, I can't really imagine he's Michael too Douglas. He's sterile yeah. looking. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's very much or more of modern, his era yeah. of like modern man of the 80s or 90s yeah, he's like, like a cop or he's a businessman or yeah something so. something slimy and yeah basically <laughs> yeah or a lawyer you know whatever uh i mean i will say like you know, there somebody are some, who plays for manchester city kind of, you know all the scumbags you know just somebody <laughs> he does play uh kind of an adventurer and uh that's a little more believable well that's uh, more modern yeah, too right. and uh oh god what do you call it we were just talking about it a little bit ago romance, romance in the, the stone, stone yeah. so that's right. more well, he was romancing the stone in this movie, Hubba Hubba. Mm. There you go. Uh, is there any other people you want to uh, shout out? Gene well, Triplehorn actually has a pretty big role yeah. as Dr. Beth Gardner. Yeah. She, she's kind of a side love interest to Douglas. She was basically playing yeah. this psychologist or psychiatrist he was seeing. Because right before the movie had happened, he had um, basically shot some tourists. It doesn't really totally go in-depth about what that was, but he was cleared yeah. of wrongdoing, but he... He probably lied about the circumstances of it, as it that implies. Yeah. And so he's seeing her, but then it turns out that she had this whole history with uh, Sharon Stone's character, Tramiel, and that they she had like a brief love affair with her in college, and she became obsessed with her, yeah. and that is then all later used to say, oh, she was the one who really committed these murders or whatever, and... Um, and again, I don't really buy that by the end of the movie. I feel like the movie, because Sharon Stone is so maniacal and so exacting yeah. that I could just simply say, oh, well, she, she, you know, covered it up right. and she just made sure it looked like it was her. Or well, also, it know. doesn't matter what we think because the ending does say, no, she did do it. So it's like, okay, you yeah. know, then it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, Jen Triple Horn, I think, is fine in it. But uh, yeah, some of that stuff's too overall. I think. Uh, I just want to mention a couple more people here. Uh, Wayne Knight, of course, appears uh, rant for some reason. Uh, love Wayne Knight, but it is very wow. funny that he's in with that very sexy, iconic scene of her yeah, and doing he's that. Like, and there's that moment he's bending forward to look, and then Michael Douglas kind of looks at him. He's like, oh, like yeah. kind of, you know. <laughs> Uh, Daniel Von Bargen is Lieutenant Marty Nielsen. He's that guy that's Kruger on uh, Seinfeld. So annoying in this. Oh my God, he's so annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, and well, uh, what happens to him? Yeah, he, well, he, he dies. Yeah, there you go. Um, he also uh, one thing I you can't never forget is that um, 
Well, let's see. Wait, never mind. I thought he was... Wait, yeah, yeah, hold on a minute. Uh, yeah, he was an old brother. War thou? He's the sheriff in that with the glasses he wears yeah. the whole time. Yeah, But anyways. Looks like somebody in our family we always talk yeah. about. Um, who we talked about on here before, actually. Um, Stephen Tobolowski is Dr. Lamont. Who, let me just say, uh, he might appear in yeah. next... We'll talk more about Stephen Tobolowski later, but Literally his next specific week. performance in this movie... He's barely in it, yeah. Is, he's like, you were dealing with the... Uh, basically, Dealing with a total psychotic mind, like <laughs> they are extremely dangerous. Like this whole thing, it's just like you need to back up. Like, yeah. You, but, but yeah, that may that then that makes me think of that line reading in uh, uh, Young Frankenstein, which I was watching on TV the other day, where he's like, "You're talking about the ravings of a lunatic mind. Dead <laughs> is dead, dead, but." But what about hearts and kidneys? Hearts and kidneys are tinker toys. Um, <laughs> it does, but, you know, you saying that reminds me of that this came out very shortly after Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like in the early 90s there was this obsession with this pop psychology of yeah. like yeah. psychotic minds and like what what interesting mysteries they well, there's are. There's another version of that with House of Games, which is an awful movie. Yeah. But that's a whole part of that where it's all about, oh, like this psychologist and uh, about probability and uh, I don't know, yeah. about schemes and con people. But yeah, um, but yeah, Stephen Tumblehouse is just kind of funny in this. He gets one scene where he's like, you don't understand, basically, like about this whole person. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's pretty much the cast and the crew as far as that goes. I think we talked about Verhoeven. Yeah. Earlier, as far as erotic, and we kind of talk about erotic thrillers too. But um, you want to talk about the the plot? Um, yeah. So bit, essentially, like, what happens is, as we said earlier, this rock star is killed, and again, um, Douglas with an ice pick. Yeah, stabbed like, with his ice pick, and so, um. Douglas is a homicide detective who's investigating it, and all roads are leading to Sharon Stone's character, who is, again, um, has this very shadowy, mysterious past. She's randomly like a millionaire um, who's also started to become a novelist, and her most recent book has some very weird, peculiar connections with the murder of the rock star in terms of Johnny Boz. Yeah. Like what? Who's basically a Bill Graham figure because they're like, oh, he owns that place on Fillmore. It's like, wait, what? It's like, why? I don't know. Yeah. And so then it's this whole tete-a-tete. The whole thing is basically a dance between him, uh, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone about whether or not he really thinks it's her. Are there red herrings there that yeah. you know? Are is he actually going to fall yeah, in love with that, her? And does that, he even care? There's that big line where it? he's like, uh, "I love you," or "I've already fallen in love with you," but I'm going to get you anyway. He's yeah, like, put that in your book or whatever. Yeah. Like, "F you very much," as yeah. he once said. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, and so but then there's all these random side roads. Mm-hmm. That go all Which over are the common place, in dwarves in general, and you know, and then there's yeah. the whole Roxy character we haven't even talked about, which is that. Uh, so it's like almost a double of her, yeah, who is obsessed with her, and they have a her her and Stone have a relationship, mm-hmm. and she's jealous. She then of comes to Michael resent Douglas, Douglas right. because she's kind of sliding in and you know becoming her new fling or whatever. Um, and let me just ask this in general. I know sometimes you're frustrated by the plot of noirs, 
does this fit into some of those criticisms? Uh, you had a little generally? bit, a little bit, but I think it's so lovable and goofy that and I more can put modern, up with I guess, it. Yeah. modern sensibility. But yes, I, I mean, it, it is very much that sort of thing as far as like, wow, we're really doing this. Like, oh, there's this whole this woman killed her whole family, and she's like a a. Uh, Mentor, a mentor to her, and it's just like, what? Yeah. Why? Like, yeah. why are you doing this? Like, yeah. and and then all the stuff with the psychiatrist. Oh, the psychiatrist knew her. She followed her at school, and it's yeah. like, uh, and then she says, "Oh no, she followed me." Actually, yeah. and it's a whole thing. Yeah, but um, that's one of those yeah. things. I actually might believe that the psychiatrist became lightly obsessed with her, but then mm-hmm. she just used that and weaponized that against yeah, her to frame right. her later. Yeah. You know, doesn't matter, but, but yeah. Um. So yeah, and then and then, of course, as always happens, the movie devolves in the ending to there's someone in a black uh coat, like yeah. in a black robe, stabbing someone. And it's just yeah. like what? I remember when I was first watching that movie, and the movie's happening, and I'm like, okay, and I'm thinking I'm about to graduate in about an hour, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm just watching it, and then I'm like, wait, what? And that's like, what I love why about is this, happening? this like, genre of movie in general, whether it be neo noir or like erotic thrillers, is it feels like so much movie packed into one thing. It feels like a shotgun blast of a movie in a good way, or like a very trashy. Like paperback book yeah. that is a, being adapted into a movie right. in that way, and then yeah. and again, it's you know the cl- we don't have a lot of that now. I feel like the closest thing we had was the work of Gillian Flynn in recent years, as far as Gone Girl being a bigger thing Sharp or objects. Sharp Objects as a TV show. So that's the closest thing we had to that anymore. I feel like we don't have that exactly. And again, it's 50 not Shades like of it's Grey yeah, is a version of that. It's certainly not necessarily high literature, but it makes for very entertaining genre films, you know, in that way that had a studio budget behind it, had big stars behind it, yeah. had a a weird interesting director behind it that it just this movie just feels like again in a good way a very weird quintessential 90s movie in that way of all the pieces fell in place and in that way thinking about it for you like wh- like how does this fit into the cinema of the 90s to you i mean you it's one of the most it? 90s movies i think uh, that explicitness of it of violence and the sexuality and also the uh, what you know uh, the talking heads called sa- saxon violins mm-hmm. um but uh i think that yeah, it's a very 90s movie in that regard, I think, as it, far as being uh, just so flashy and stylish. And it's very De Palma-esque, very De Palma-adjacent, so, and, and while still just being Verhoeven. Uh, also, but, the same year it came out as uh, Bad Lieutenant, which mm-hmm. we've done in the past, of course, on here. That was another movie that the sexuality of it was very in your face there is moments there is a lot of this movie that is very titillating nothing about bad lieutenants titillating it makes it rubs your face in the excrement and in the genitals and makes you feel oh my god this is awful and you know this has fun with it and is like ooh, let's kind of like indulge in it and opens up to a moment where there'd be a lot of college uh boys pausing it to masturbate with each other you know what i mean there's just there is that more explicit but fun devilish quality to it that in its own way is weirdly more cynical than something that is more both outrageous but heartfelt in like bad lieutenant you mm-hmm. know what i mean if you yeah, compare right. the sex and violence of those movies yeah. together but 
Uh, do you want to talk about some of just the sense of humor of this movie? There's a couple moments, like, stuff like, just for example, just like the way that they tease each other throughout the movie the whole time, especially Hirsch, like, where he's getting ice out. Oh, and, right. And she has an ice pick, and she's like, here, let me do it. And she's like, you like watching me do it, don't you? And like yeah. stuff like that that's very just like weird pointed phrases that yeah. are just like, who would ever say something like that? That's so weird. Like, you Yeah, know. to the point where... You can't imagine Sharon Stone's character ever having having a casual moment in her life. Everything yeah. is this, and I, I think this is actually more yeah. good than not because it just adds to the arch absurdity of the melodrama of the movie. The, everything she does is like an orchestrated performance. Nothing can just be a casual, I'm going to go walk to the bathroom. It's, I'm going to go to walk to the bathroom and give you a look while I'm doing right. it. Like, it's yeah. just everything has an extra... Apostrophe well, it's like literally on the only it. reason why she probably didn't straight up admit to the murder was because she had plans to do other things that would be prevented if she happened to be in jail, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like that's how much she doesn't care. And really, to that point, because she pretty yeah. much leads him on the whole movie. There's that scene where she's like, "I'm only gonna let you know what I want you to know." That's not at all a denial of yeah, anything, you know. Right. Even though she did deny that she did it, it to the other police, yeah. she never really does that with him exactly. And like, she gets know. off by admitting but not admitting everything. Yeah, right. And, I mean, she has two moments in this movie where she could kill him. And I feel like the set, the first one's not quite as tense to me because exactly. it's in the middle of the movie so like, well Michael Douglas isn't about to die in the middle of this had that happened and it was Gus's movie all of a sudden that would have been a fascinating you know <laughs> oh, divergence man, like... but like the, the the one at the end is like a little more I think yeah. tense and yeah, like especially by the that point in the movie but the decision to not do that is literally Verhoeven winking at the audience like I got you didn't I yeah. Oh, you thought it was going to happen, but it didn't. And so, yeah. and there's this, it's like a a weirdly grim yet satisfying joke in the, the way the movie ends in terms of like taking you and thinking that's going to happen and then yeah. letting you off the hook and you kind of have a nervous sigh of relief at the end of it that yeah. he wasn't killed. And I think in that way, there's this self-awareness and um, satirical nature of the movie that while not as explicit as something like RoboCop or... Um, Total Recall or Starship Troopers still is him winking at the audience and having fun with the material, which I think is what sets Verhoeven apart in terms of an auteur of this world or genre of movie. Um, Any other last-minute thoughts about Uh, Basic Instinct? No, I I just think it's not the best movie. I think it has a lot of problems, uh, but it's something I think a lot about, and it's just a wild movie. Um, what for you does it in relation to Hard Boiled have at all? Basically none, other than I think we talked about this earlier because we were asking what does this have to do with that. Just I guess the basic idea of uh, you know, uh, just popcorn cinema of the time, yeah, and violence in movies. I think that's a big yeah. kind of part. And of also, it too, and that both are about law enforcement in their own way. Yeah, unexpectedly, <laughs> yeah. Um, one group of people's a lot. Nothing better. was going on with law enforcement in the early nineties, not that I know right. of. Uh, other than that whole Rodney King thing, you know, whatever happened there, I don't as know. they said on the Sopranos once. Uh, uh, but yeah, also that uh, one group does uh, their police work a lot better than the other. Uh, 
and both Which do one? it badly. I'm trying to think, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think well, uh, neither one. one is more successful. Yeah. Uh, we'll okay. say that yeah. in the end. Yeah. A lot of people die. Them away. A lot of people die. Destroy a lot of public infrastructure. Yeah, well, but, yeah. you know, that oh, doesn't well. matter. So <laughs> that does it for another episode of Overlapping Dialogue. But don't worry. We've got 1993 right on the horizon. Jeff Probst, what have we got next week? Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. country's largest lake, Chapala, is located near the city of Guadalajara. What is Mexico? Leslie. What is Mexico? Correct. Lakes and rivers 400. Seneca is the largest of these lakes in west central New York. What are the Finger Lakes? Jim. What are the Finger Lakes? Correct. Lakes and rivers for 600. This South American lake drains into the smaller lake what is Titicaca? in Bolivia. Jim. What is Titicaca? Correct. Lakes and rivers for 1,000. Milky colored from what glacial clay when entering Lake Geneva, this river is clear blue upon exiting. Jim? What is the Rhone? The Rhone, good for $1,000. You are $500 off the lead right now. Let's go to Inventors for 200. This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. What a hype. Probably like they used to mean something in this town. They used to pull the hog out and they used to eat it. You're hypocrites. All of you. You got a problem with what I'm saying, Larry? Untie your tongue and you come out here and talk, huh? Am I upsetting you, Princess? You know, you want a prediction about the weather. You're asking the wrong Phil. I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray. And it's going to last you for the rest of your life. Those uh, clips you just heard from were from Fearless... And Groundhog Day from 1993. Now, on the surface, these movies mm-hmm. are very different. If you yeah. just look at genre, what they're going for. Right. But I think, I would argue, perhaps the most poignant double feature of these two that we've had yet. Both movies are in their own very explicit ways about faith, religion, philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and about people who become almost Christ-like figures right. in very divergent different ways. To start with Fearless, you know, neither one of us have seen everything from Peter Weir. No. Um, but I am quite liked what I've yeah. seen so mm-hmm. far. And this is actually my favorite film of his that I've seen. Um, I think, it, you know, Fearless is to basically briefly talk about what that movie's about. It's basically Jeff Bridges plays a man who is on a plane that crashes and the vast majority of everybody on the plane dies. Yeah. He happens to be one of the few people who do, who does survive 
And basically, most of the movie is about him kind of in response to that tragedy, trying to make sense with this uh, realization that, wait a minute, I didn't die. Is there any meaning behind that? And also nah. connecting with uh, Rosie Perez's character in the movie. Um, Levi, what about Fearless to You makes it um, a movie to talk about with the 90s? Because it's not explicitly a really no. well-known movie yeah. from the 90s. It's not even among the most well-known Peter Weir movies. No. Uh, as 90s, far as the nineties Truman yeah. Show is right. such a huge and Dead Poets Society. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that's from the late eighties. Right. Uh, oh, that was okay. I didn't remember but yeah, another really talked yeah. about Peter Ware movie. But Fearless is. I remember when I saw the trailer. Or even his for earlier it. movies like The Last Wave or Picnic at Hanging Rock yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I remember when I saw the trailer for this years ago, I was like, "Wow, oh, this this looks something like something very compelling." Um, this is going to only be the second time we've seen it. Mm. Um. What about Fearless stuck out to you the first time you saw it? And was well, a movie I, that we, I, what, why did we yeah. kind of go, oh, we need to revisit that and talk about that again? Well, it has a, one of the great trailers I've yeah. ever seen. Uh, uses uh, Where the Streets Have No Name in it, which yeah. anytime I hear that song, I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, that movie, you talk about this a lot, but I think it fits into that 90s uh, spiritualism Mm-hmm. Um, of something like Forrest Gump, but it's like way better than that. Yeah. But uh, of just that question of what is it like to live in this totally dangerous modern world? Um, and this even predates 9-11 or other You know, and re-watching that clip, or, uh, I didn't yeah. really think about 9-11 a lot the first time I saw the movie, yeah. but re-watching that clip, my mind went more to that. that may, yeah, I was thinking time. about the ending of uh, United 93. Um, but yeah, just, I guess the, uh, it's almost like a superhero movie without any action scenes or whatever, but yeah, it has like right. a certain tragedy and a weight to it that obviously yeah, right. they don't um, have. Think, and that way yeah. it reminds me of Unbreakable from Shyamalan, mm-hmm. which I think it's quite a bit better movie than that, but it's a yeah, similar right. story. But. but yeah, as far as like someone who actually isn't even really invincible, because I don't yeah, think the right. movie ever right. leads us to believe that's true. I don't. And there's a um, qu- he questions but, himself whether or not right. he is. He isn't. The uh, point but. is, uh, the point of that movie, though, I think, is the idea of what is it like to be an American who thinks that they, themselves and the country are indestructible, but the emotional toll yeah. that takes on the mind mm-hmm. in its own way, even though we're not actually indestructible. Yeah. But I think coming to the end of the 20th century and kind of that American exceptionalism, especially after the 80s, too, mm-hmm. I think that's maybe a whole metaphor in the movie is like that, literally the fearlessness of that mm-hmm. um, juxtaposed with the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a scene I think about all the time is that scene where he's driving the car at the brick wall yeah, and Rosie Perez is there. And, and they, they make for, by the way, a very interesting, yeah. mm-hmm. odd pairing that you yeah. wouldn't immediately jump to mind, but they were really good together. And uh, this is honestly more of a thing probably talk about next week, but I'll go ahead and talk about it since we're talking about it, is that her, she lost her son in the crash. The crash. And Because uh, there were a lot of survivors. A lot of people did survive it, but also a lot of people died. Um, and she feels all this guilt about what could I have done, you know, and he literally gives her like a toolbox or a fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. And he's driving at the brick wall and he's like, hold on to your baby. Hold on. And it's kind of funny when you're watching it in the moment because it's just like, this is so like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But then that they crash into the brick wall and it flies through the windshield and like 
is out of her hands or whatever. And that's her way of realizing that she couldn't have done anything, and that's like a palliative cathartic, measure cathartic for her thing. to move on. Yeah. And I think about that scene all the time of just like, like I said, when I first saw it, I kind of laugh, but now... I just think about it all the time of just the immense drama of a scene like that, and just it's literally one of the most serious movies I've ever seen as far as, as what, what it's trying to say, actually yeah. about is yeah. just. And we were watching the scene that you heard, yeah. uh, the plane crash. Yeah. But I think even more about the scene that's actually the ending of the movie, although that's earlier in right. the movie. Yeah, uh, and that him literally after that he's literally laying on the floor having this flashback and him like hyperventilating and like bringing himself back from the memory and that's the end of the movie there's no real like conclusion exactly the movie just kind of which is in itself a conclusion yeah uh i think about that all the time just specifically the ending and just like what that movie is it's a really powerful movie i know it kind of became sort of a punchline in that decade of like oh, one of these kind of movies. But I feel like it's way better than that. Mm-hmm. And the way people Absolutely. treat it, I think, is... Really great cast. Who's got John Turturro. Um, like I said, Rosie Perez. It also has uh, um, Tom Hulse in it, randomly mm-hmm. in some scenes. So, yeah, it, that's a, I'll be happy to revisit that. Yeah, because it's one that I really loved back when we uh, had first seen it. And... Yeah. Um, I thought about a lot. And you liked it a little more I, than I did. Isabel Rossellini plays his wife. That's in who it else well. it was. I couldn't remember. There was somebody else. Yeah. yeah. And I, you liked it a little more than I did. But the more I th- have thought about that movie, the better it's gotten. So I'm happy to revisit that. Uh, and we're. Gonna, I want to talk about this more next week. But yeah. Jeff Bridges is a really great actor. He when, is. Yeah. When mm-hmm. I, because I, I feel like now um, he's known as the pothead actor, the dude, like, yeah, or right. like there's a f- series of things he's been in. Like Hell or High Water, which I think he is good in, but or Crazy Heart, which but I, I mean I'm that. a huge huge fan of The Fisher King, um, mm-hmm. and this came out two years after and that. And even his work and, with Michael Cimino, even, yeah, I think has been really. And good I really, him. you know, I think when he's specifically doing something dramatic, he is really great, and he's yeah. he reminds me sort of like Jeff Daniels that he can do comedy or drama both really well. But I, I think you know. He's a really great actor and gives a really great performance in yeah. this especially. But mm-hmm. uh, I really love him in The Fisher King a lot, too. That's one of my favorites. Speaking of Groundhog Day, um, that's not a movie I've seen all that much. I know it's it's one of those yeah. one of the most iconic movies. And a movie that probably has one of the biggest philosophical messages for something that is as widely seen as it is. And is as and, funny as and it is. And as too. good as it is and funny as it is. That's, of course, my, uh, Michael Michael Murray. The Lost Murray brother. Michael Murray. <laughs> what about Michael Murphy? Imagine Michael Murphy in that role. You better sober up. Like, it was like, <laughs> very serious. Like, yeah. uh, but or Bill like, Murray. Uh, if, a, if a frog had wings, he wouldn't bump his ass so much. He's like, what? Like, but anyway, yeah. Now I'm trying um, to think of like Bill Murray in the uh, Warren Beatty role. Yeah. In the Speaking of the philosophy of this movie, before we talk about how funny it is, a scene I think of from this movie all the time, Groundhog Day, is that scene where there's the old man that has a heart attack every day. Yeah. And he's always going back there and trying to save him. And there's the one scene where it shows it happening. You can tell it's happened a million times or whatever. 
and that he just finally just you know kneels there and realizes there's no way I can save this person. Yeah. And I think that kind of speaks to the whole movie in its own way about there's two kind of main messages in the movie. There's the more obvious message which is if you got to relive your mistakes you could perfect you could perfect yourself as a person or like your reflection is its own reliving the past over mm-hmm. and over and if I would have done this how would this have been different and kind of I don't know it's kind of an unanswerable question of like if we relive the past would it be any better or would we be better or what you know and that kind of just I think it's just overall a, a sense of reflection on life and and also recognizing the both futility of the everyday and also the things we don't pay attention to that are actually really important. But there's also that whole the whole counter message, I think, or kind of alternate message of the movie, which is that the futility of trying to change the past or like or things will inevitably happen anyway. That whole kind of idea. Like I said, that I think is interesting. All that's to say, like you said, it's a very deep movie for a, a movie that's very funny and is consistently yeah. darkly comedic, I think. Yeah. Also, it's important to note, the first time I saw this movie fully was the day that we found out that Philip Seymour Hoffman had died. Um, not that that's of any particular note. That was a Super Bowl Sunday that was also a Groundhog Day, yeah. randomly. Um. But that's just something that's always stuck with me as being kind of part of that narrative. I don't, I don't really know what that even means, I don't, you know, necessarily. But I've only seen the movie like maybe twice. I think maybe only once the whole way through. I can't quite remember. I've seen it on TV um, a lot. It's a movie that is now an idiom. Yeah. Oh, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah, people right. use that. So it's the same thing over and over. Um, our dear great aunt Sarah's birthday was on Groundhog mm-hmm. Day, so that's always a little thing that I think about a little yeah. bit with this movie. Also, the day um, that we, uh, you and mom and dad moved into the house that we're living in. The '94, it yep. would have been, yeah. Um, I want to see this movie again and think about it more. I and I think this is true of a lot of things. After a certain point, that they get talked to death and they become the metaphor so strongly that people don't really see what's the thing that's right in front of them the whole time is yeah. that it's all, oh, it's about reliving the past. And, but it's about, are you content with the life that you have or not? And sometimes when p- these things happen, again, the metaphor becomes so strong, people forget about what's it more and more, what's it about in a more granular way? Mm-hmm. Not like this big mar- arch metaphor, but in a granular way. Um, yeah, are you content to surround that, yeah. yourself with mm-hmm. people and live lives where you are around the same people all the time, you get into a habit and do all the same things, that I think the film is less interesting as a literal, what if I did yeah. that, and more of a reflection on, we all live our own versions of Groundhog Day mm-hmm. during various periods of our lives, not literally, but figuratively. And do we react with cynicism, and do we react with anger, as Bill Murray initially does? Or do we find the fine poetry that is life over the which he eventually yeah, yeah. comes to that? And that's point. when he finally gets out of it is when he has his best day, I think. Yeah, ultimately, but and yeah. you know because early on he figures out what's going on and he's like, well, I've got to kill myself. And so there's yeah. like and it's kind of funny. It's dark when you really think about it, but it's because he, yeah, he just he always yeah. goes back to the loop, and so he always constantly <laughs> wakes up. To, I got you, babe. Which yeah. is one of those th- songs that is probably now outside of any context that it has, I weirdly think about 
its use at the very end of Mad Men season four yes. as a meta. Yeah, he is in his own Groundhog Day. Like you know, I think I think that that's very explicitly like. Yeah. You know, connecting to the legacy of Groundhog right. Day and the use of that. But, again, I think that the film to me is less interesting in the literal what if, if I was stuck in this, and more about the granular philosophical yeah. reflection of life itself, you know. Right. And as you said, that he eventually makes peace and comes to terms with it, and that's when he's able to yeah. break out of this weird sense of purgatory or hell right. on earth that he's well, found also, himself in. You, you know? know, I think that... Uh, another whole like I like yeah you said like I was saying is the whole conception of the movie is the idea of thinking about what it must be like to be a person who covers Groundhog Day the Groundhog Day phenomenon as a weather oh, right. yeah, yeah. and how ugly the day looks how yeah. gray it is how dumb and, the whole and, thing and, is yeah, and just that whole idea of how stupid all of this really is. And thinking about, what if you had to live that every single day? Like you said, <laughs> that question of, are you content with your life? Yeah. And ultimately, that's the yeah, that's the question. Now, that's a very, like, uh, you know, heightened version yeah. of that. Yeah, right. But I feel like it, yeah. Ever so briefly before we end this, touch on... Uh, Bill Murray. I mean, I, there's a reason why this is one of the most iconic Bill Murray movies. I, and I think this was, you know, because there's the whole, oh, Bill Murray can be serious now, which happened in the mid to late 90s and, you know, his transition into working with a lot of Wes, and in Wes Anderson stuff, his first one being Rushmore. Right. But, you know, this is a comedy, but I think this is this is the perfect, to me, even still, other than maybe Life Aquatic. I'd say these, yeah, that mm-hmm. life clock and this, the perfect distillation of wh- how Bill Murray can be a great movie star in terms of he can be very funny, he can be very dry, yeah. very witty, but also have a sense of drama and a sense of patience yeah. that sometimes comic actors do not have. You know what I mean? And that he very clearly was aging into over the yeah. by well, One of my point. favorite scenes, this is one of his more comedic scenes, is where he's having that first date with uh, Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell. And it plays it over and over, yeah. you know, and it's like, and him basically figuring out how to talk to her because yeah, right. he's like, because he's had all these chances to right, do it, and, and now he keeps figured. doing it, and that's just funny to see her get mad at him over di- they're just interplay keeps yeah. happening, and it feels like it's like just within seconds, you know, is the way it's edited. But you think this is probably, which I mean, I think Harold Ramis, the director, has said that. It was like over thousands of years he thought that he lived in that loop or whatever, you know, I don't know. But that's what I like to think is it's like almost an eternity, you know. Yeah. Um, And just how long that goes on. Even making this movie, just put your thinking cap on the thing about, you imagine how surreal making this movie would have been. You're on like take 13 of this one scene and then you're doing a take. And then you're doing a whole the a different version, a different version of that scene in the script on another day. You're like in twelve takes of that, clock or and just doing something else of the clock. How strange or, yeah. that had to have been to made this movie in terms of the depths yeah, of right. everything going on with it. But uh, both great movies. Uh, again, I think both. I think you know a lot of people know about the. I know about Groundhog Day, and yeah. it's a pretty well known movie. But I think Fearless. Um, it makes sense why it's not as well known because it's a very grave serious somber movie and a great movie and a great movie too so obviously. obviously we can't have those yeah not that groundhog day isn't pretty great i'm just saying yeah, like, yeah. 
but great movies tend to get overlooked because you know specifically it doesn't yeah uh you know yeah so (laughs) we'll get into both of those next week this is kyle this is levi take care god bless go to hell manchester city